Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons, the real sponsors of our show. So a heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Steve Bjork, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., and Tom S. Thank you very much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. That means you. Hello. I can't. We, we weren't sharing system sounds. I didn't hear your voiceover, but thank oh, okay. you. Yeah. Oh, yep. Intro's done. Um, yeah. Thanks, okay. Mark. <laughs> Can anyone it last night, that? though, didn't it? It sure did. Dress rehearsal was a charm. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell a big difference in this show. It's going to be really, really polished. <laughs> really, really, really professional. Well, yes. let me just quickly go through... Uh, the luminaries and the the stars, the celebrity stars on our Hollywood Squares panel. And you might already see that we do indeed have a special guest with us. I'm very excited. Uh, you can see he's standing right behind me. Um, but, <laughs> but going around the panel, we have our producer of today's show, Mr. Mark B. Hi, hey. how you doing, everybody? Hey, the, Mark. The man who implemented the high score contest that is taking the Coco world by storm. He's calm. He's cool. He's Canadian. He's Nick Marota. By storm. Yes. We had a, we had a pretty decent turnout this week. I was, uh, I was a little worried there, but it ended up being all right. So we'll have more of that in the upcoming segments, but thank you. Great. A little uh, uh, It'll keep them, keep them entertained, you know? Next on our regular panel, John Laurie. He works for Apple, but don't hold that against him. We're happy <laughs> to have him here. How are you, John? Doing well, Rob. How are you? Doing well, doing well. 
John Strong uh, from Strongware, a maker of uh, software and hardware. Sounds a little familiar. Sounds a little like our special guest, too. Um, John Strong, how are you doing well, and uh, are you excited to be here? Oh, I'm recovering from a sinus infection, but I've been doing some cocoa stuff in the time. Uh, so, yeah, good to see Chris Hawks. Uh, always is. Uh, known him for a long time. <laughs> Great. Well, we're definitely going to leverage that um, knowledge and as we get to know Chris and his history here. Um, but let's uh, let's check in with Brian, the music man, Shoebring who sometimes has a frog in his throat. How you doing, Brian? How you feeling? Oh, whoa, I'm doing pretty good. No frog tonight. Uh, Going to be uh, playing it straight, more or less. So uh, just doing great. Just um, got my midi pack uh, back from um, Jim Brain. Yes. I in that, and uh, he sent me along one of the uh, new ones for me to test to make sure that uh, everything was working good. And I can surely say right now it works even better than the Coco pro one does. Well, I, that, that will, that's definitely something new for retro innovations. It, it oh, actually yeah. works and, and you can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't let him say that. <laughs> Hear that. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, he, he did an excellent job with it. Um, it doesn't quite slow down quite as much as the other pack did. I think it's because of the uh, the clock circuit. This is using a, a clock module. The old ones and the ones that the uh, the club did, they did um, a regular uh, discrete component circuitry for the clock source. So more rock solid. So, okay, anyway, back to you. And well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it to buying it and we're, we're definitely going to talk more about the midi pack actually in the news segment so hold that thought because we've got more midi talk later in the show um but i did want to go to the rest of the panel uh, you know him you love him he has a garage there's lots of stuff in it uh his name's ron delvo ron hello here at the world famous uh delvo observatory here in uh, <laughs> fountain hills arizona Welcome, where we do uh, deep sky research here with my various telescopes. And I have a collection of uh, some Tandy 1000s, 2000 Cocos. Ready yes, to. I believe, I believe you have an OS9 application that uh, can show us the stars. Absolutely. In fact, uh, it's on the latest edition of uh, Nitrous 9. Well, good. We're going to be talking about a little bit of nitrous nine here in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, but next, uh, uh, we have a man who's usually extremely excited, and we'll have to we'll have to see how excited he is today. Uh, he's known as the Lord of the Floppies because of his obsession with floppy drives and physical storage hardware. The next big thing. <laughs> his name is David Ladd. Hello, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Um, otherwise, um, I'm doing fine. I'm above ground, so that's good. <laughs> that is that is really good to hear. <laughs> so, where's the real David Lad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's this not here a, at the moment. <laughs> he's a the mellow. It's mellow David today. Um, but someone who is not mellow and and often screams, "Oh crikey!" 
you know him from down under. He's the maker of various games that end in the word star. Uh, it's Nick Morentes. Hey, hey everyone. Ready for another uh, train wreck? Absolutely. We are ready. Uh, and speaking of a tra train wrecks. Yes, exactly. Speaking of uh, train wrecks and streaming, uh, a, ma a man who once uh, accidentally left his mic on and we all heard uh, what what the result of that was. Uh, Mr. Grant Leedy. How are you, Grant? Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm doing great. Enjoying my birthday today. Happy birthday, Grant. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. And then uh, Dave and Sharon and Dave uh, has some uh, hardware projects to show us. Uh, Dave, you, you're out there and you're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, all good here. Happy to be on the show. Okay, great. And last but not least uh, is the, the man who lives right near a train station, and you often hear the train going by. Hopefully there's no train wrecks uh, near him because uh, that would be, you know, really uh, anxiety-inducing. Uh, how are you, James Diffendapper? I am also recovering from a sinus infection, so I'm probably <laughs> not going to say much, but it's good to be okay. here. Just everyone wash your hands and don't touch your face. That's what I'm <laughs> We're all recovering on this channel. All right. Well, uh, great. I did want to just go quickly who is on the panel so that our special guest kind of knows uh, who's uh, around here and might be asking questions. Um, but with without further ado, uh, Chris Hawks uh, from Hawksoft, a legendary in the color computer community, and uh, just wanted to appreciate you uh, joining us and welcome you to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. Nice to be anywhere, like somebody said earlier. <laughs> Great beard, That's man. Right. That's right. Thanks. It's a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Chris, I, I, I know I, I'm pinching myself a little bit because I know Hawks off from ads in the rainbow, and, and um, I've, uh, I've walked by your, your uh, Cocoa Fest um, table. Um, but there's so much more that, you know, I need to learn and, and want to learn about your history with the color computer and, and all the different products you've released. Um, but I, I think why don't, if you're, if you're game, why don't we start at the very beginning? <laughs> and I, I'm wondering just how you learned about the color computer is existence and how you got your first color computer and, you know, What's the story there? How did you come into the color computer world, just even knowing about it? Well, it was a long time ago. It was actually October 1980. I bought my first cocoa for a whole 16K extended color basic cocoa. It was just after they came out. I'd been looking and looking and had a friend at the local railroad club who worked in his profession with 6809 computers. And he definitely told me, this would be the one. Oh, here's the features. These are the kind of things you can do. Although Radio Shack really didn't push that kind of stuff. It was a game computer as far as they were concerned. So I got one and I learned basic. That's the first computer language everybody learns, of course, and of course, the second language is 
nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. You learn how to curse really good when you start programming. In which so language? Learned, uh, assembly? Sorry. No. Not assembly. Any guesses? I would figure everybody would know the second language every programmer uses. Profanity. (laughs) (laughs) I'm following you. It's always the second language. I'm very fluent. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure we all are. I started getting into assembly then with a lot of help from the fella I knew who worked exclusively at work with 6809s and stuff and got into OS9 from there and learned all kinds of stuff, met all kinds of nice people. Uh, who is the person and, from work with the 6809? I'm curious. Geez, I can't even remember his name anymore. It's been 40 years. So oh, that's all right. You'll have to forgive me. Do you still oh, have your nice. first machine? Yes. I still have my first Coco, although it has a DHL, was it? Keyboard. And was upgraded to 64K after some amount of time. But yeah, it's still here, and I power it up a couple of times a year to hopefully keep it running. But actually, here in the computer room, I have a Coco 3. Do you have some patina on there? Oh, just a little, yeah. (laughs) It's been so around, were, and the, the paint is able, quite worn. Yeah. And and so you pretty much were able to jump into programming in BASIC uh, right after getting the, the color computer. Did you know BASIC before, or, or did you learn have to learn that? No, I had to learn it. That's how I learned it, from the examples and stuff like that. I never did learn how to type. So that was a big issue, although I'm pretty good for hunting back. So I actually had my now ex-mother-in-law, who was a secretary, type the programs in, and then I'd go through and correct them and make them work, and then go through and change them and figure out what the changes were doing, and that's kind of how I learned to program. Like most of you know, there... There weren't classes. There was data processing classes back then, but that was nowhere near actual programming. So a lot of us had to kind of learn on our own in our spare time, and that's what I did. And when did you get into other, uh, besides the profanity, uh, when did you move to your third language? Um, what, and what was that? Did you, did you start uh, Basic 09 or Assembly or C after the, shortly thereafter? Or I started in Assembly. Mm-hmm. I started in assembly. I learned a lot about that. I had a cat that was kind of fluent in assembly, so she helped me a whole lot. She actually found a couple of problems. I used to print the programs out when they didn't run because I had a color pen printer. I forget what they called it. It was a little skinny printer that Radio Shack sold that had four color pens in it. But I print the stuff out and lay it on the floor and go through and say, okay, it's doing this, it's doing that, it's doing this, and Splash, that's the cat's name, would come over and jump on it. And she invariably jumped on where the problem was. 
I was using the wrong addressing mode or something. And she found a lot of problems for me that way. That's pretty handy. What was your first, do you remember yeah. your first program that you wrote, whether it was in basic or another language? I wrote a lot of stuff in basic. Some of the stuff I sold was in basic. There were several programs that ran in basic like a text adventure, but would load screens from disk. It was, of course, after I got my $700 disk drive from Radio Shack. Yeah. <laughs> way back then. But that and was, I think, the first commercial program was the Mystic Mansion. You had to wander through the mansion and find different things and have certain things happen to you in the right order to be able to solve it. But you'd get a screen on the bottom half where I drew the characters for the text adventure, and then the top half would be a picture loaded off the disk of the room you were currently in or the direction you were facing, that kind of thing. And so Mystic Mansion uh, was the first first commercial program? Yeah, as far as I remember, I was going to check and didn't have a chance to look up all this stuff because I have original copies of all this stuff that was on the market. Just just out of curiosity, Chris. Then, <clears throat> Curtis is here. Yeah, no, just sorry I showed up late here. Um, when you That first program, Mystic Mansion, did you sell that through Hawksoft or were you selling it through a different third party at that point? I was selling stuff through a different company, uh, Skyline Software. They were in Wheaton, I think, close to Chicago, and I was close to Chicago, so. So did I you go to quite a by the owner, and he wondered if he could sell some of my stuff that I had been selling kind of on the bulletin boards, because that's all we had back then. Did you go to a lot of Rainbow Fests? I went to every Rainbow Fest. Wow. In fact, when Lonnie started, he contacted the Northern Illinois Color Computer Club, and the officers and some of the folks, including me, helped out with getting things arranged on, uh, excuse me, on the Chicago end for the Rainbow Fest. That's cool. I, so that, that was you guys set up the original ones at the high one regency, the then, right? Yes. Yes, it was a huge deal. I was amazed at how many people were interested in the color computer, besides the few of us in the Northern Illinois Color Computer Club. Were you into any other computer at the time, or pretty much always uh, Radio Shack stuff? Pretty much always with the Tandy Color Computer. I, I knew about the one and I think the three when it came out, but and I knew guys with those computers, but I was never that interested. Because I found a lot of capacity, if you will, in the color computer. Things I could do that they couldn't do. And what? So, what year was that? Uh, that your first commercial game uh, was published, and what? what I'm talking eighty-five. I'm just trying to understand where in the timeline of the color computer it would have been. So it was a Coco Two era, right? No, it was a Coco One era. Yeah, Coco. Oh, it was really early. Yeah. Okay. 
It was 82, 83, something like that. Like I said, I was going to look it up, but I never had a chance to find the box with all that stuff in it. That's My when the rainbows... Six months ago, so that's when the stuff is still packed. That's when the rainbows were thick. <laughs> yeah. <That's> right. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get to the point where you created your own company and... and um, was I, I assume that was after OS9 level two and the Coco three? Um, did Hawk, Hawksoft came came later? As when did Hawksoft uh, begin? Well, it must have started in the very early eighties, as I mentioned earlier about being on the BBSs and stuff, that was a big moment when I was able to actually buy a modem and get online on the BBSs. And back then, 300 bucks, you could actually read the characters as they printed on your screen. That's right. But there was some discussion at one point, somewhere along the line in the first couple of years, of course, where somebody said, oh, well, I wonder what Chris Hawks is working on at the moment. He's had a couple of simple games and stuff that I distributed that way. And my reply was something about, "Here we here at Hawksoft are working on whatever it was. And from then on, it became the name of the company. It's actually registered in the state of Illinois. But I'm not there anymore, so I don't know how that affects me. Where are you now? Tennessee. Oh, oh, gee. Northwest Tennessee. Uh, not near the the um, bad weather. Well, that was about an hour east of us. Yeah, we had the tornado warnings. Somewhere around five o'clock, the weather radio went off, and they said, "Oh, we got weather tornado warnings for all these counties." I said, "Okay, that's the county west of us, and us, and two counties to the east of us." So. We kept an ear on it and didn't hear any more until they canceled the warning at about 1 o'clock in the morning or something. And we never heard or saw anything. It got a little tiny bit windy, and we heard thunder and saw lightning way south of us, but that was as much as we got. And the next morning we found, oh, the tornadoes were all way east, about an hour east of us, around Nashville. They're pretty nasty. Yes. You mentioned well, that you that were, was, oh, sorry, you mentioned that you were on the BBSs quite a bit in the early days. Uh, I'm assuming that you were like on some of Bob Rosen's and stuff when he started up some of the Coco BBSs way back in the early 80s too. Um, did you also use some of the big, uh, the big timeshares like CompuServe yeah. and Delphi and Genie and all that stuff? Yeah, it was on CompuServe for a while, but... Since it was long distance and access time, I was not a whole lot. Yeah, it was quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember your number, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of us do. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's one of the few numbers I don't remember. So you, you have a number of products, and, and a lot of them are hardware. You've got some high-res joystick uh, interface, and, and uh, you have a, a system that can read PC-CD-ROMs, an RGB to S-video converter, 
you've got the Raspberry Pi, which is a you know a, mainly a software project, but then there's Logic Call as well. Um, how did you get into hardware? And, and that's I a didn't whole do different. Logic Call. I just did some consulting for the actual. Office. You did some consulting. Yeah. Um, how did you? How did you get skilled in hardware? Because that's a totally different you know area for most people. Is that something you you were doing before the Coco, or how did you learn how to create hardware projects? And um, did you go to school for that, or anything that you recall? No, just a lot of studying and a lot of reading. I spent a lot of time in the library because that's what you had to do back then. You couldn't go online and find stuff. So. <laughs> But I'd always been interested in electronics and stuff like that, and I'd done some stuff. Nothing very fancy before that. Decided, oh, let me find out some more about this. And I needed an easy way to connect and disconnect my high-res joystick. So that's when the high-res joystick was born, that you could switch on and off, and then found circuitry for emulating the colorware was it the other one mm-hmm. the uh, cook i found out how what the circuitry was for that and said oh i could add that as well so and it became the dual high res adapter and you could switch it off as well so you didn't have to plug it on plug and plug and unplug every time you wanted to change but most of that stuff is is so antique now that i haven't made any in years So, um, Chris, well, let's try something because uh, some, some of your videos coming, your video and audio is uh, is totally understandable, but there's some bandwidth issues that might be affecting it. Can you try to just turn off your video and we'll see if see if that improves the audio? Uh, why don't you try that? And Nick, uh, uh, Mark B, why don't we go to a commercial and just see if that audio just clears up a little bit? And okay. we'll, uh, let's run a commercial and, uh, we'll see if turning off the video, uh, if Chris turns off the video, he might have better bandwidth, um, quality on the audio. So that's okay. what, does that you make sense? Do one Chris? of the list or just go to CB1? Yep. Just for just any commercial. Sure, give it a try. We'll return after these announcements. What's going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A. Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh. Joe sent you. Coco forever, people. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. Coco Tooth's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco Tooth's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable. 
bubbles, the Thermic Bam Grammable. Just you and Coco to do what you want to do. Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco to do what you want to do. Boomerang Memory Board, BoysOnTech.com production. They came for us in broad daylight. Hungry. Wanting. More memory, they said. More power. Proper design at an affordable price. We took shelter. They were unstoppable. They're coming back for more. In 2019, what goes around comes around. Boomerang 512 Classic, $15. Two megabytes for $49. Available now. Boomerang Mania is real. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as the TV Throw Devil and the SD Pack, and you are watching Coco Talk in 3, 2, go. And we're back. Okay, and we're back. And Chris, uh, test, test, test. Can you give us a little test on your audio? Sure. Does it sound any better? You guys have been uh, garbled ever since about five minutes after I connected. Oh, really? Oh, we're garbled, garbled to you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I don't so, know if we should just do a reconnect then, like a hang up and reconnect, and maybe see if that straightens it out. Yeah. Let's, I didn't realize you were getting it on your end, too, Chris. At least yeah. at least we both we both experiencing the same thing, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, so Chris, are we connecting again? Yeah, if you could try just hanging up and reconnecting, and I'll, I'm actually going to quiz uh, Curtis a little bit uh, on the, and we'll 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 stall for uh, time to get back. So, okay, give me a minute. I'll unplug and replug the camera and headphones okay. as well while I'm disconnected. Okay, okay. yeah, that's that. cool because some Logitech ones have a problem where after you run them for a certain amount of time, it gets warbly like this and then stays that way until you unplug it. So, or chipmunky. Oh. Well, I use it all the time when I'm connected via Blue Jean for the caller computer club meetings, but oh, good. who knows? Some, so sometimes I get bad connection to just when I'm just connected. So okay, okay, all right. Well, we'll give it a shot anyway. We'll see you in a tiny. Okay, bit. I'll be back. Okay, and Curtis, uh, thanks for popping in. I know, you, I know you got a lot, of, a lot going on. Um, what's your memories of Hawksoft? I know you went to some of the Rainbow Fest. Did you see Chris? Um, at those fests and yep yeah i did uh the first uh, rainbow fest i went to in chicago was 86 so that have been the fourth one um from the one that he was talking about where they helped actually started which i didn't realize i didn't realize uh, he was part of the organizing committee for the very first one in 83 um so that, that's really cool but yeah he's he's been there he's been a kind of a, a stalwart he's been through all the coco fest as well yeah, he's, he's hard dead. to miss. <laughs> yeah, he's six four, so that's yeah uh, he's, he's hard to miss yeah. so yes i uh you know, 
because the way you asked that question, I couldn't re resist doing that. And and he's usually been in that uh, lab coat with the, all the badges on it as that's grown over the years. So uh, Chris has been a hard one to miss. It was as tall as he is. And uh, right. so. And his, his buttons. Yeah. Hmm. Now, does he have his, his, his wife with him too, I think? Uh, quite often his wife, yeah. Nancy, yeah. has been there with him. Okay. Yeah. I talked to her the last Coco Fest and him. He had a um, color computer sitting at his table. I think it was a, uh, a Coco um, Raspberry Pi, but it had the keyboard and everything hooked up to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he's had a lot of stuff. I mean, he's done stuff for Disk Basic. He's done stuff for OS9. He's done stuff hardware-wise. He's done stuff for the MM1. Um, so oh. he's been involved in a lot of the Coco community stuff. And some rather unique products like Icon Basic 9, which I'm sure Rob's just itching to ask him about. Yeah, I do. I do have some questions about that. I also want to know more about what MyDOS is. I have um, that on his list. Do you happen to know, Curtis? No, that's not one I've used. Um, some of his games, I think he's got a couple of games like Killer Hawks and uh, there's a, a, a Risk board game clone. Uh, what is it called? I'm pulling a blank. I, I like him, I didn't have time to prepare anything. So. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Oh, look, we've got uh, somebody sharing a rainbow up on the screen. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, we can we can go to uh, just to, to do more some intro introductions if we want to uh, stall for time uh, here. Wait for Chris to get back. I was going to um, see if I could find one of his ads in Rainbow. Oh, I see. Does anybody have the yeah. pictures queued up? Because I know you guys had a few of Discord of, of Chris and some of his products. We can kind of yeah, go through those That two. might be Chris. Yeah, Dave, David has it queued up, but David had to run and help his brother. So um, I think that's oh, Chris is back. I'm here at the moment. So Oh, thanks. Looks like Chris right. is reconnected too. So well, Sounds good so far. Yeah, that sounds yeah. a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a lot better. Try turning on the video just for fun. Let's see if it... Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> let's see if it all works again well i can see me yeah oh. Twice. still oh, sounding so still sounding smooth so far well it did for a little while when i connected the the 40 second time or whatever it was i had a heck of a time connecting i oh, tried to so test so the other day and it worked just fine and i told rob oh i guess i'm all set so no and then problem. Then made a liar out of okay. me when I started it up today. <laughs> if, if it starts to go again, I think we'll switch you back to audio, just because uh, we do have an audio version of the podcast. So that's it's critical that the audio is as clean as we can, because uh, yeah. we can throw pictures of you For and we sure. can show pictures of your products and stuff on the screen ourselves while we're talking to you and have you explain them. So, Ooh. yeah. Okay. So but feel free to plug sounds... a few things while we get into it here. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I I know I was looking at one of your ads, um, uh, Chris, and you had a lot of. Uh, stuff in there. What are you holding up for us? Who's holding this up? John. It's not me. Yeah, oh. I'm holding it up. It is the uh, fifth annual Cocoa Fest and uh, where they featured some of the vendors and you will see the Hawksoft who is one of the vendors is one of the vendors on the t-shirt. Yeah, okay. so that's 96. So uh, has there ever been a Cocoa Fest or Rain Rainbow Fest that you've missed, Chris? 
Have you been at every single one? Well, I wasn't at all of the uh, Atlanta fests. I missed a few of them, and I missed a couple of the Princeton ones as well. But the ones in Chicago, I was at every one. Mm-hmm. And then on, on the ad, which also featured Icon Basic 09, which I want to talk about, but it had your high-res joystick interfaces. Um, it had the PC-CD-ROM. Um, it also had something called MyDOS. And I'm not familiar with MyDOS um, or haven't used it, and, and neither is Curtis. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's a product similar to ADOS and added a whole bunch of different commands to the... ROM, the extended, if you were extended basic, or the disk, if you were disk basic. I had it smart enough to be able to figure out which which one to connect to. It was pretty simple, the way the, the ROMs connect to each other. But it added, Jesus, it's been so long. There was an X run, I think, which would ex- load and execute machine language programs and there was a, the fanciest thing was a, I don't even know what to call it, kind of a menuing system. You could type the menu, I think it was, and it would put up a directory on the screen in two columns, 32 columns screen. And then you could use a mouse or joystick to select and run programs from that. Okay. From Disk Basic. Yes. With a mouse, so that's pretty cool. Well, I wrote that actually in assembly, of course, but I wrote that actually after I dislocated my shoulder and it was in the sling for several months. So I was basically one-handed, so it was a real <laughs> pain to even type in the name of a program to get it to run. Yeah. That's when I added that feature to it. Just, just out of so, curiosity, what was your daytime job during this whole time? You've been, you've been working with the Coco since its inception in 1980. So, what, what, what was your regular day job? I was the garbage man. Okay, in the Chicago area, then. Yeah, in Elgin, the town I lived in. I worked for the city, so now I'm collecting a pension, so now I can be retired. So what made you decide to move to Tennessee then after so many years in Chicago area? Weather. <laughs> Weather. So you like the tornadoes? That was, that was the plan all along. Well, the tornadoes I could live without, but first thing we did after we got the house and the barn and stuff in was put in a storm shelter because we don't have a basement. That's pretty uncommon in this area. But I've got lots of distant relatives here. My folks retired down here. Well, actually, they moved down before they had retired. But. And we used to come down and visit all my relatives and stuff. And my wife said, oh, I could live down here in, in the wintertime. It wouldn't be bad. They get a little snow. I think we've had almost a half an inch of snow total so far this year. It's been pretty, pretty quiet. And... Last time I looked, yesterday sometime, it was 65, so it's not bad for beginning of March. Yeah. That, that, that warbling is coming back on our end, Chris. So. Are you getting it on your end as well, where the sound's breaking up again? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay, maybe we stop the video here. and we'll see if it comes back in in the audio yeah. side. Okay. It might take a bit of time okay, for him to adjust to. So. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, like, I, I kind of didn't get started in at the very beginning there, but you mentioned that you got the Cocoa, like, literally within a couple of months of its release in 1980. Had you done anything with computers before that that got you interested in getting the Cocoa in the first place? Or was it just something you saw at Radio Shack that interested you? Or how did that come about? Well, I was always interested, but I couldn't afford a Univac or something like that. So when... Uh, <laughs> Model 1 came out, I was interested and followed along, went to some of the meetings with the guys and stuff like that, and then finally was able to buy my own, and at that time, the color computer was about to come out, and like I said, I talked to one of the fellows I knew in the railroad club I belonged to in Elgin, and he actually worked with 6809s at his, his job, I forget what it was, but... And he highly recommended that I take a look at the 6809, the Radio Shack color computer, because it was actually a much more capable processor than anything else that was on the market or was going to be on the market. So that's, that's the direction I went. So you had had some experience with like... You had, you had some experience working with like a City Model 1s or 3s or Apple 2s or any other machines that were out before the Cocoa? Well, a little bit. Like I said, I went to some of the meetings for the other computers but and saw what they were doing and did a little bit of stuff, but not more than casual observance and, oh, here, try this on my computer, those kind of things. Okay. So your interest, you in getting, your interest in getting the computer off the bat then must have been... Uh, just for curiosity of computers itself, it wasn't like you 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 got a bug for programming before that if you just kind of just casually used them. So how did you get into the programming side of things after getting it? Was it just a natural progression? You found the manual and started going through it? or yeah, Pretty much. I was interested in it before I was able to do anything because I saw what other guys were doing. I said, oh, I could probably do something like that. And I always tell people, I think I have a neck for it. That's got to be the only explanation. Like some people have a neck for being able to do other things. They pick them up fairly readily and with a little practice get pretty good at them. So I think that's what happened to me. Okay. So sorry, somebody else was about to ask a question. No, I was just, just going to ask, uh, uh, you know, since one of the products that hey, I was talking about, yeah, there you are. One of the products uh, we were talking about over email, uh, Chris, was Icon Basic. Um, and when did you start to make the transition to OS9 Level 2, um, Basic 09, and kind of um, you know becoming more known, I guess, as an OS9 person? I don't know. That's hard to say because it was so long ago, but... I did start out with level one version 1.1 or something like that. So it was fairly early. I saw the discs somewhere. I still got a set. It probably can't be read, but, but that was, a. I think another thing from the fellow I knew from the railroad club, I think he pointed me in that direction and said, Oh, this will work really well. You should learn this kind of stuff. So, 
I got into that as well and discovered, hey, I like this. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, not, it's not so hard. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's so powerful, so much you can do with it. And one of the things, though, I think the basic 09 does does have an um, – I guess when you when you're used to regular uh, basic disc extended color basic, and you and you start basic 09, you have that B prompt. Um, you know that that can be intimidating for a first time user. Um, and I know that um, you know mm-hmm. basic 09 is not that hard, but um, to get over some of that you know intimidation factor and get people to experiment with it, uh, Curtis and I had been mentioning you know what if there was more of a graphical environment, and then um, uh, we recalled uh, your product, uh, Icon Basic. Um, so, what was that? Your uh, how did Icon Basic? Uh, what was your genesis for that? Did you were you trying to make it easier for yourself, or you felt like this was a a product that could encourage more people to develop in Basic 09? That's pretty much what I was thinking. I figured it would make it easier for me. And like you say, also for other people, it even says in the manual, it says, oh, well, you can load other people's programs and you'll be able to see what they look like and compare the icons to what's going on and stuff like that. Hopefully and it's that, a, a little more mm-hmm. explanatory than just a single word. They say a word is worth, a uh, picture is worth a thousand words, so... Hopefully that gives people a little better idea of what's going on in the program than just the words do. Yeah, and I think um, uh, I know there were some tweaks that you made, and it runs now perfectly on the ease of use edition. Um, I think I, I've been playing with it a little bit. Um, in future uh, episodes of Coco Talk, we're going to do some demos on it, and maybe maybe you'll be able to come back and participate mm-hmm. in that. Um, but as as it as it um, pertains to the ease of use project um what are your thoughts around um the ease of use project uh the the g you know the different features in ease of use which where you can launch programs out of g shell which is you know multi-view um do you have any thoughts around ease of use Mm -hmm. itself and your opinion on it well i don't know I think if we get the ease of use going and get more people involved, that'll be a great thing. That's Because cool. everybody's now used to the click and like I tell people, I say, well, you the GUI, yeah, you can do simple stuff a whole lot easier. Complex stuff gets a little hard sometimes, but if you get people started and they kind of understand what's going on, and that's what the graphic can do for us. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same goal what you had with it's, it's kind of the same goal you had with icon base 9 I think is to try to make it easier so try to make something a bit more complex a bit easier for the average person to to get into rather than you have to be a quote unquote computer geek yes definitely if you make it easy to start then people will probably go farther but it's kind of be uh, I don't know how to explain it. Oh, less, less of a slope to start yeah. out with. A lot of things, you have to learn a whole lot of stuff before you can do anything. Whereas this way, they can get started on even simple stuff and work into it gradually instead of having to start with a, a big bang, so to speak. 
Yeah, yep. Chris, if I can ask, uh, you worked with Carl Kreider for a while, I think. Um, how did that affect your OS9 and stuff? Carl writing some of the C libraries and things like that. Or is my memory well, I wrong? learned a lot from learned a lot from Carl. I got tired in the early nineties, I guess it was. I got tired of everybody saying, Well, why aren't you a professional programmer? How come you're not doing that for a living? So I said, Well, let me start looking. So I started looking around and somebody from micro who worked at microware, I don't remember if it was Boise or one of the other fellows, might have been JJ, said, Hey, they're hiring programmers. They want to they're coming out with a newer version of OS nine to run on x eighty six and stuff. So maybe you should send them your resume and see if you can get a job out there. So I sent them a resume. I didn't even have one because I'd been working for the city for like 20 years. So I, all I could say, well, well, I've been a city employee because that was the only real job I ever had. So I sent them a resume and they said, oh, come on out. We want to interview you. So I went out for an interview and showed the manager that I talked to, some of the stuff I had done and talked to him about it and got a chance to visit with Boise and JJ and those guys who we went out to dinner a couple of times. And then didn't hear back and didn't hear back and finally I checked with whatever the fellow's name was. He said, well, I was going to hire you, but they wouldn't let me because we're working in C now and you don't know anything about C. He says, but I, I told my boss who said I couldn't hire you the guy wrote a file manager, for Christ's sake. He can learn C. He already knows OS 9, but it didn't happen. Because I've written the file manager for OS 9 68,000. I think I wrote that after I'd actually written the 6809 one first. That's a CD-ROM file manager you're talking about? Yes. So... That didn't, didn't happen, but at the, the next Cocoa Fest, or was it a Rainbow Fest? It must have been Cocoa Fest by then, because it was the early 90s. And Carl said, they're looking for somebody to do your kind of programming. We've been working together via BBS and stuff on a couple of projects, so we knew each other's work. He says, they're looking for somebody to do your kind of stuff. We need file managers and device drivers and stuff like that written for OS 9 because they used it in some of their products. So why don't you send your resume and I'll see if I can put in a good word for you. So I wound up getting a job in South Bend where Carl was. That's where the company was. And I worked out there for nearly 10 years, I think. And then the plastics industry, which used most of their equipment, slowed down and they had to lay people off so I got laid off. Wound up getting a job back in Illinois after that. And As what about the, the MM? The, so you covered uh, OS 966809 you did uh, uh, for the 68000 and then you worked also on the MM1 I heard. Yeah I had an MM1 for quite a while. 
and I also had Cal Criders, 68,000. Well, that's right. Yeah, he what? did a separate six, was 68306 or something, wasn't it? I can't remember now. Yeah, he did a, a motherboard. It would actually take uh, IBM PC cards in it, I use a video card, uh, let it plug in. And uh, so, kind of like the PT 68K4 and stuff that uh, yeah, Ed did. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he had some very interesting conversations with Carl. I, and that's the reason, mm -hmm. and Chris. And uh, so, that's one reason I, I mentioned this that I thought it opened some more information up from Chris about things. And actually, Chris, I wanted to ask you, because I, I, I don't know if you were part of it or not, but were you involved at all with the Osteen Level 2 Version 3 upgrade that Kevin Darling was heading up? No, not at all. I, I knew about it and heard some of the stuff and some of the talk, but that was about all. I think I may even have a copy somewhere, but... And then with the MM1, uh, how did you get involved? Like, did Paul Ward approach you, or did you just get one and then start writing for it, or, or was there a prearrangement with him, or how did that work? I, I just got one and put it in a case and started writing stuff for it. First thing I did was port my CD-ROM file manager to it, so I'd have another project. Yay! <laughs> I used that. <laughs> Yeah, it's sold it to a lot of people. I licensed it to a couple of companies in in Europe, even, and got some some money out of them. Oh, that's good. I didn't realize that. the The interesting story here, if I, I know, because Chris is the focus, but uh, I was able to actually set up a CD-ROM easier on the Coco and stuff than it was with the original uh, my original PC that I had. Uh, it was a lot of trouble, and with his file manager and such, it was just it simply set things up and go. And uh, it was a real big problem getting to the PC to recognize things and everything to get the CD running on the PC. Yeah. Are there any other uh, new projects that, uh, Chris, that you're uh, work either working on or thinking of working on? Um, and we have so many things going on, both with the ease of use project and new hardware coming out. Um, anything like on your mind or you, you're planning on programming? Well, I've been playing with a couple of things. I haven't had much time for anything but moving and getting things set up and stuff like that. But I have an idea and kicking around and looking for somebody to do the hardware because it's more hardware stuff than I can handle anyway. But it occurred to me we've got the DriveWire servers, all kinds of them. And you can run that, I don't know if anybody else has tried, but you can run that on a Raspberry Pi. I'm sure everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I wonder if it'll run on the Raspberry Pi Zero. And yeah, runs just fine as long as you're not doing graphics and the rest of the stuff. So it occurred to me, if you built a cartridge just the right size with a dual inline connector on it, 
you can plug a Raspberry Pi into it and connect to the serial port and then just map that with the barrel log or whatever you use to look mm -hmm. like the uh, 6551 serial port. You could put it at the same address and everything, and then you wouldn't have to write any software for it. And then you run DriveWire on your computer, and as far as it's concerned, the serial port is a disk drive, so you run the DriveWire server on Raspberry Pi Zero inside the cartridge. I have it then good authority that you can get plenty enough power to run a Raspberry Pi Zero from the Cocoa bus. So all you have to mm -hmm. do is plug the cartridge in, and you've got a DriveWire server plugged into your computer. So finally, I will be able to get. I will actually be able to get DriveWire to work. I'm not. I'm not a very good DriveWire expert. I'm afraid I've had some challenges. Oh. So it sounds sounds like this is plug and play, right? Plug it in, and you're good to go. Maybe. Yeah, and no wiring yeah, should, required should to hook it up to a computer. Much. So. Pardon me? It sounds like the, what you're planning on doing there is actually having it as a self-contained cartridge that you just plug in and it's the server and the simulated disk drive all in one shot and there's no wiring or wireless network to set up to hook it up to a Mac or a PC or a Linux box. So, Yeah, right. So what, what I know you're going to... does have a serial port built in, although it's only TTL level. So I'm thinking. Um, sorry, continue. Oh, it's okay. I'm thinking somebody could write the the software necessary to connect to the serial port and make it look to the cocoa on its end as if it was a sixty five fifty one. Then we're already all set. Or the Becker, I think they call it whatever the the serial actual serial port version of drive Becker port is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. That sounds like so a good idea. The hardware look like that, and you just plug it in, and you're all set. Or you can unplug it, plug in a power supply and keyboard and monitor, and it'll be a Raspberry Pi, and you can load your stuff or wirelessly bring your programs over and store them in the correct directories and stuff like that. Will you be able to demonstrate any of this at Cocoa Fest this year? Not just an idea so far. Okay. Yeah, that's why you're looking for a partner to try to, to help with the hardware development and stuff. Yeah, I need someone who knows how to write that kind of stuff. Well, since you got a Raspberry Pi and a keyboard hooked up to it, it doesn't sound like it'd be a whole lot more just to feed that keyboard back into the Cocoa. Through the Pi. Uh, well, Chris does have a Raspberry Pi that's in a Cocoa case. <clears throat> Is that what you're referring to, Mark? Well, well I think it's... Yeah, it, with the same cartridge, since it's also being a um, um, drive wire server, you know, just uh, uh, also have it feed the keyboard through. I mean, you'd have to re, re, uh, 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 remap the port, but uh, oh, I see feed a standard uh, PC keyboard into the Cocoa through that... Uh, Raspberry Pi. Under OS 9, that could be simply done as a driver. Okay. Yeah. And so, under this, yeah, under this basic, it's 
it's more involved. But if you're if you're sticking to OS nine, yeah, it's just a matter of some software. Yeah, sounds like a lot of uh, opportunity there. What what else will you be uh, displaying, Chris? I know I know I've seen Icon Basic at your booth in the past, um, and I've seen your Raspberry Pi. Is there anything else that folks can expect at Coco Fest? Or anything that you want to highlight that you'll be selling at the fest? I won't be selling anything at the fest. I will not be a vendor. Oh, really? Oh, this is breaking news. I believe we have here. <laughs> so will you be in, in attendance at the fest? Oh, yeah. We, we'll hope, we are hoping to be there. My wife recently had knee surgery, but she should be good enough. We can get up there. Okay. And as we but that, start that's to... That's all we're I mean, counting on so far. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to be there. And I think most of us on the panel, um, or quite a few of us on the panel will be there. Um, and we'll be able to say hi. And you, Well, you'll be still wearing the lab coat and the buttons, I hope. I suppose I'll have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's required. I, I don't think they'll let you in unless you have that on. Yeah, if you pardon the pun, it's iconic. So, <laughs> like, how else are we going to recognize you? I think you were the only there. one who really gave Alan Huffman a, a kind of a run for his money there with the uh, lab coat, and or in his case, a house coat, and all the buttons on it. So, yeah, well, that goes back to Howard Medical. I did a lot of work for them over the years and helped work the shows for them. Oh, that's, that's right. They were in the, the Chicago area too, weren't they? Came from. Yeah, they were in Chicago. Yeah, I was glad you brought it up. I was trying to remember who the who it was that you worked with there on on the shows, and uh, and yeah, it was hard. Like you mentioned, I remember it. But yeah, that's I remember seeing you there at the booth. Now, didn't they carry a bunch of MIDI stuff too? Or my memory failing me on that point. Well, they had a little bit, I think, but it was mostly drives and monitors and stuff like that. And they put together and sold the uh, slot pack that I designed years ago. Yeah, I remember there being a hardware vendor. They were kind of like Computer Shack was earlier on, retailing a lot yeah. of like they sold Magnavox monitors and you know third-party floppy drives and stuff. Yeah, that was most of the stuff they had. In fact, I think I bought my Magnavox CM15 from, or 8515 from them, actually. It's a possibility. I quite bought a lot of stuff from them. Now, you said you're not planning on being a vendor. Is that just this year that you're not planning on being a vendor, or is that you kind of retired from being a vendor? Or? Well, we'll have to see. I'm hoping we can get back into that. But with everything else going on, we figured, well, the best we can do, hopefully for sure, is to be attendees. So we're going to do that. I haven't made money in years, but that's not what it's about. So, Yeah, it's kind of like a family gathering. It's like meeting old friends you haven't seen you know, since last year type thing. So, Yeah. Well, speaking of making money, I'm glad you brought that up. So in terms of um, as we start to move forward and doing an actual demo of Icon Basic on the show, um, 
and and people I know at least one person I believe I referred to you um, to purchase an, a, a copy in addition to the one I purchased. Um, is that the best way to reach out to you for products? Is just to over email? Like if they want, if people want, if yeah, people see us demo, demoing, yeah, we can we can share that email with folks who see it and, and want to buy the product. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, one thing we can do for you too, I think, and we should probably do this. We've we've done it for some other vendors that are doing current products, like you know, well, like Nick Morantes when he comes up with a new game, we'll demo it on the show so people can see what the game looks like and see if it's worth purchasing. I think we should go through some of the products that you're actively still selling, like Icon Base Go Nine, and uh, actually demo them on the show too, so that people know exactly what they are, especially people that can't make it to the fests, and then you might get some sales out of that too. So we can kind of help promote each other. Yeah. That's only if you yeah. like money, Chris. If you if you like money, uh, we're 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 in business here. Yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> I mean, at some point, what I'd like to do um, when when Nitrous Nine development's a bit more settled, because I'm still trying to get time from work to finish up the Beta Five, but eventually, I'd like to be able to maybe uh, get Icon Base Nine onto the demo at the fest, even if you're not a vendor officially. Uh, just to show people what it's like, and then uh, if you if you're around for it, maybe we, if anybody has any questions, they can actually you know try it out live with you know the author right there to ask questions of. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And we also had a request from uh, James Jones or JJ as you call him. I'd never heard him called that before, so that's cool. Um, to ask you about Gnop, what <laughs> is it, and uh, what was unique about it? Oh, yes. I was just thinking of that. So, yeah, that is something I need to bring up. Oh, that was a, was it? Oh, Ellen Huffman had some kind of challenge. Was it for a, a new version of Pong or something like was that? It, was it a 4K challenge? No, it was a different one. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's done a lot of challenges, but <laughs> but I think that was for a, a version of Pong to run on our, our computers. I forget what it was, but that's, I think, what started me. And so I did some research on the MM1 and found, oh, if you want to move the screen, all you do is change one address in memory. Well, actually, in one of the registers. Say, oh, the screen now starts here. So I came up with an idea. It's a Pong game, but the ball stays in the center of the screen all the time. And the playing field moves. Other than that, it's an exact Pong replica. Yeah, I remember seeing it at the fest in the MM1. It was was quite interesting. moving paddles and... Go ahead. That would be pretty freaky. It. You still there, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'm still, I thought I lost it for a second or two, but yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, so it was quite a unique concept. I remember um, seeing it at the fest there on the MM1, where the ball, like you said, the ball stays in the center of the screen, and you're moving around the entire screen behind it to bounce it around. Um, so yeah. I, like, did you see that on another platform that inspired you? Sorry, go ahead. No, no. 
it just all of a sudden occurred to me one day, oh, I could actually just move the screen. So, okay, let me figure out how big can the screen be and still be on screen all the time while it's moving. And so, actually, the code updates the location of the ball all the time. So, it stays appearing in the middle of the screen, but the rest of the screen just stays static except for the panels and is moved by the hardware. And you never ported that back to the Coco, did you? That was uniquely MM1? Yeah, well, you can't do it on the Coco, I don't think. Can you? Can you move well, the screen in the same way? I thought it was every 256 bytes or something like that for the starting address of the screen. Well, on the Coco 3, you can move it at, at finer parts, but I mean, you'd have to write your own graphics driver to be able to handle it type thing. I mean, some of the modern games use the oh. hardware scrolling feature too, but I think it's got it's like a two-byte minimum shifts you got to move it at least like every in a 16 color mode like four pixels or something it's not super fine-tuned but oh well something else that i can take a look at see if it's possible and what it would look like but in my copious spare time which is supposedly coming <laughs> <laughs> you're one of those people that's busier in retirement than when you were working oh for sure way too okay. much to do that goes with moving to new location. It's, you know, it's slowed down a little bit here, but it's still a lot to do. Well, I still anyone... got more boxes and stuff. Yep. Well, Chris, um, if if anyone wants to talk to you, they 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 know where to find you out in Coco Fest here uh, coming up. Um, we're forty five days away, I believe. Um, and, something like uh, that, yeah, something like that. Uh, and so, uh, look for Chris with his lab coat and buttons and you won't be able to miss him. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, I think, I think we want to feature a selection of your current products for sale on a, on a future, a cocoa talk. So hopefully, um, you know, we can get you back on and, um, we'll clean up some of those, uh, audio issues and sell a few uh, copies of icon basic and other programs for you because um, I think one of the things that um, we found is some of the uh, um, you know some of the products that are out there uh, we don't get we don't talk about and, and maybe you see them once a year at Cocoa Fest but they're really um, they're really uh, useful tools that everybody could use so hopefully uh, we can get you back and and go through some of those um, on the show um, anything else that uh, you know you wanted to, to share with the audience before we go or anything specifically you want to plug? Uh, nothing I can think of, no. Well, thanks for all your help back and forth on email um, with uh, Icon Basic and looking forward to learning, you know, continuing to learn more about um, your products and, and of course, this Raspberry, Raspberry Pi and a cartridge pro project that might actually help me with finally use DriveWire. So I'm very excited about that idea, and I hope you continue to develop it or talk to uh, the Jim Brains or or other people that do hardware that, that can help you. Um, and I hope you'll come back and talk to us about it um, when that idea, you know, bears fruit. Well, hopefully it'll go somewhere, but I need to... Need to find some time and somebody to do the hardware end of it because, like I said, it's, it's 
not the kind of hardware I have any experience with. I was all discrete components. And that's quite different from what we're doing nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got some hardware specialists in the community now to, you know, that, that definitely are, are available to talk to. So, and, and Chris, uh, uh, I did want to ask you, it just popped into my head here. When you're at the Fester, since you're actually just being a, a participant rather than a vendor this year, and you'll have free time to go around to different booths and things, <clears throat> maybe we should get together with some of the Cocoa Talk people and actually record a video in the evening or something like that on one of the days to... Uh, kind of go over some of your products and, and have you there for live questions and live demos and stuff and just kind of go through the whole gamut of your catalog and we can then use that as a you know a bonus on Coco Talk or put it up on the YouTube page and, and then you know if people are interested in some of your products afterwards we can actually point them to an informational video to show exactly what your products do, what the games you are have, what the hardware that you've made is and uh, you know kind of make it a learning tool as well. That sounds like a good idea. Get some, people can see the stuff who don't come to the Cocoa Fest or aren't able to. Yeah, sounds like I mean, even me going to, me. to the fest, I mean, I've, I've walked by your booth and seen some of the stuff, but depending on when I walked by, I saw these two products running and you have another 10 there that I, I didn't see. You know, and sometimes it might take me like five years of going to fest to finally see them all, so. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Well, Chris, you're welcome to hang out on the on the panel. Um, I know you have some audio, so you know I'll leave that up to you. But you you're welcome here anytime and um, to pop in and out, and um, you know just just know that um, you can always join um, our show anytime you want. So, so John, what was that T-shirt you were popping up there? And uh, yeah, John had a T-shirt featuring uh, one of the many Cocoa Fest, uh, Rainbow Fest. Oh, Team OS Nine. Okay, we do Windows. <laughs> this was uh, my, this was my first custom uh, Strongwear shirt. Okay, this was for the first Cocoa Fest. Okay, hey. and uh, at that point, I found out that my vendor wasn't going to be there. And wanted to be represented with some of the stuff I was working on to going with the uh, MM1 and things like that. And so this one is featuring that. Uh, so only a few people have these. Uh, Alan Huffman was shared with uh, some of those the people at my booth. Had a couple extras. They sold quickly. Actually had one fest attendee uh, who... Uh, I told I didn't ha- told them I didn't have any more. They they grabbed the collar of my shirt and said, "What about this one?" So they they liked that. So that was my first featured one. Uh, of course, had it done silk screen. Uh, kind of decided designed it for some there. Okay, and uh, the this hang is a little bit wrinkled. Right. This is uh, that's the one I remember the most. Okay, this was the uh, team OS <laughs> Okay, I had professionally uh, done a very good, very good uh, airbrush artist. Uh, he was actually featured in the National Airbrush Magazine and found out he had a shop in uh, Muncie near Ball State for a while. And uh, so he actually did the shirt for me. And uh, 
I was just going to do T-shirts, and uh, Donna Adams uh, wanted the, the color and the button and, and stuff, and so we had one made up for him. So these only, probably only about two of these particular shirts. Uh, I'd had several, some other T-shirts done as well uh, with the same thing on the front, and then on the back, this was extra. So, uh, are you going to wear any of these shirts at uh, Coco Fest? Uh, they're probably a little small for me now. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to be showing off my belly. I'd be showing off my belly and uh, stuff. My wife would be giving me grief because I'm, I'm showing my hairy belly and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Okay, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I I didn't think that through when I before I asked it. <laughs> yeah, that, it's been a long time ago. I've gained some weight. I'm not the the string bean that I used to be. So. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe maybe in the future you can reproduce it in different sizes. Um, uh, but but, uh, uh, but since we're talking OS nine, you know, Chris has been one of the supporters to that tools. Uh, Carl Kreider, uh, that would be how somebody could find him and be interesting talk if he would come on. He did a lot of the OS nine library, the C library stuff. Um, and so yeah. there was things going there. Uh, Kevin Darling, I, I think it's kind of expressed. He's really not interested, but, uh, yeah, I've tried. Yeah. Um, but there, it was an interesting time. I would actually, I would get people wanting to me interview with stuff for OS nine. And I remember one that, uh, they were talking to me and then I didn't hear back. And it seems like Kevin Darling got the job and, uh, um, Greppentog for it was a Scott. project ATT and so they got it but it was like well there's not very many people know this yeah we're interested in talking to you blah 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 and then hear nothing <laughs> and so uh, there was a, a little bit of demand at the time you know and like you said Chris got the job with uh, the factory of Carl and okay. uh, so there was a little bit of things going on there and uh, so it was kind of an interesting time. But since well, we, since I dug oh, out sorry. the other T-shirt, I thought I'd bring those out. So yeah, those are cool. Yeah, no, that that was really cool. And and in fact, uh, you know, on, a, on another another time, Stevie's away. We'll do uh, further OS nine, and maybe maybe we can talk Chris into giving in, an interview. But uh, that was good. Those are good shirts. And uh, so. Uh, interesting that they, were, they only had room for like four vendors uh, on that T-shirt for the that fest, and uh, three of those four vendors are are still active. Okay, uh, Sabitha, myself, mm -hmm. and Chris, mm -hmm. and I've seen uh, uh, the guy from Tharna. Uh, on some of the, either the, the group or the, yeah, Frank, uh, Frank's still on the group yeah, though. I don't Frank, think he has any yeah. cocos anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to remember Frank. Yeah. I'm trying to remember his name. Frank yeah. Swigert. Swigert. Yes. Yeah. They, he's got some interesting cocoa fest, uh, some rainbow fest or cocoa fest story. Uh, I think he had a rambler if I remember right. And yep. uh, they went down, down Chicago uh, with involved some kind of wreck or something. Somebody hit him. So, I don't know all that full story, but things get interesting. Nightmare uh, driveway. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we have we have plenty more OS nine uh, 
to to talk about uh, in future episodes. It sounds like we have, we have only uh, the tip of the iceberg, um, but we do have to get to news uh, yes. so we can uh, you know get through the news and game on, and then we will come back for ac- acquisitions and other projects uh, toward the end though, though John, if you, if you have anything else you want to add then. Uh, that's probably what it is. I've got some other things I need to do today, but we should okay. try to catch at least a part of the, the show, whether if I catch all of it. And, I have to drop uh, off too. I have to get back to work myself, but I did want to pop in for the interview with Chris. Yeah, yeah no problem. And, I want to thank Chris Hawks. I want to thank uh, Curtis Boyle. And I want to thank uh, John Strong. Um, okay. And we're going to come back with news. Um, and Nick, you and I will work out how that's going to uh, happen. But uh, we'll be right back after these messages. So do you, uh, we have the, uh, you want to do the special announcement? Uh, no, save the special announcement. Go to commercial two, whatever commercial two. Is. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Land. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest, having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now, everything is such a struggle. And (laughs) if I'm being honest, You're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Ease of Use. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's gonna do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately, only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, 
he changed schools. Greetings YouTubers, Atari Leaf here and you're listening to Coco Talk. And we're back. All right, so uh, welcome to the news segment. And before we do news, we're going to roll a special announcement from D. Bruce Moore. This year, the TRS-80 color computer turns 40. And what better way to celebrate than to get your very own limited edition 40th anniversary color computer photo book. This pearl-finished 23-page hardcover photo pictorial depicts the introduction of the TRS-80 color computer in 1980 and follows the evolution of both the hardware and community over the last 40 years. This classic coffee table homage to the Coco is only available by pre-order with delivery at the Chicago 2020 Coco Fest. With the regular cost of printing and shipping a single copy at over $45, a bulk group order of 10 or more copies gets Coco Fest attendees this timely heirloom for only $30. Email coco at gracenote.ca to arrange your PayPal prepayment by March 21st. Guest anchor tonight. Oh, guest anchor is Nick Morota. Nick Morota, we just had breaking news. So, so can we can we take a pause and just appreciate what just happened from yes. D. Bruce Moore? That is very uh, very cool news. That looks like a really great book. Um, I, do you plan to? I think I'm going to be contacting Coco at GraceNote.ca to or, to pre-order. <laughs> so people who are not going to Coco Fest can order it. Is they that can true? so that that's what i was when i was watching the video I was, I was asking myself the same question so i believe that of course you can email coco at great to ask that question for sure but it did sound like that you could um you could email it and um arrange something with bruce moore but we'll we'll find out more from him um yeah but a great project yeah, it looks fantastic. I remember he mentioned he might work on something like that, but I never heard anything about it since. So I guess it came to fruition. It's fantastic. Um, All right. Uh, so I've got the first link uh, where or you're going to share your screen. Yes, uh, I think share. I'm going okay. to share my browser and my sound. Hold on. Share sound. And I believe this is presented by Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota. Yes. The man so nice they named him thrice. All right. Can you guys see my browser? Yes. All right. So our number one story tonight, uh, Jim Gary has released the obligatory bouncing ball demo, which every platform must have. So now the MC10 has one. So, 
This is the uh, demo right here. All right. It is an MC10. You might have to skip ahead. <laughs> oh, stop the hatred. So there we go. It is, I it is bouncing just... and it is moving. Yeah. It's my sound. I'll turn the sound down a bit. So there you go. Now the MC10 has the bouncing ball and it can join the ranks of every other computer ever designed by man. Hey, that's not bad for basic. Gotta, no, actually it's pretty cool. Jim Gary's doing some really cool stuff with the MC10. It's actually pretty cool to see. He's doing a lot of uh, conversions and software and it's uh, really pushing the limits of it. It's really neat. So, I mean, some people here do make fun of it a little bit, but really we think the MC10 is pretty cool. The MC10 is is a computer. It is. That, that, it's a micro I can tell color you. computer. <laughs> it, is. It, is, it, it is. It has a processor. That if, I can tell it, you. If it's Turing's definition of a computer, does it? Yes, it uh, does. <laughs> well, can we run OS9 on it? <laughs> you cannot run OS9 yeah, on it. <laughs> that, that, that's a check mark. I like that. <laughs> All right, our next story. Uh, Paul Shoemaker put up a picture on Facebook of his famed poster from the Clandathu. Sorry, from the Clandathu. Uh, uh, Clendatu, yes. I got we read for Windows. Okay, there we go. Uh, yes. Based on the Robert Heinlein book Starship Troopers, written by Leo Christofferson, who is famous for the original Dancing Demon, Android Nim, Voyage of the Valkyrie, etc. Um, and we also heard a related related to the story, we got a comment by Steve. Um, pardon my pronunciation. Uh, Skynarets. Skynarets. Yes. And Mr. Christofferson, or Mr. C as he was known, was actually uh, a professor of his computer programming teacher from the fourth to the eighth grade, sorry, uh, back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, he taught machine language. And uh, if you want to read, it's a, he gave a really long. Uh, not really long, but he gave a pretty long uh, quote about his uh, experience with Mr. Christopherson. And if you want to read about that, it's on the Facebook. Yeah, yeah, and, and, there and it it's a, right it's there. a, there's a lot of um, a lot of follow up on this there. post. I encourage people to go read it. Um, I, I think, think Curtis, I just reading it. I don't think I Curtis actually jumped in and asked if he could interview uh, Steve uh, Scrinaris here, and uh, he said yes. So we might actually have Steve on in a future episode to talk about. Uh, working with um, Mr. Christopherson and how he was a professor and how he got into programming and how he ended up pro programming, programming an officially licensed Robert Heinlein book for the Coco. Yes, that is very cool. We have a lot of good history in our in our community. So yeah, definitely please uh, go on Facebook and check that out and then look forward to a possible interview coming up. All right. So Jason Pittman has been working on a web application to convert images you supply the URL to and allows you to convert it to Coco 123 graphics modes with a variety of options. Coco 3 only at this point, but the interface shows what the Coco 12 options will be. So yeah, again, these are so handy. I mean, um, to, to be able to use modern tools to be able to do some of this stuff that would really be manual before I know that uh, some people like Nick Morentes, I like to do everything retro. Um, but for most of us, we don't we don't have the 
Nick Morente's kind of time. So we need exactly. to jump in and just be able to get things done and, and use some of these um, modern tools. So this is really so, you know, great. And as you see, it turned out pretty pretty decently. This picture turned out pretty cool. Dithering is, uh, with the dithering, you get a lot of good uh, extra colors and stuff. So. so there you go. All right. Our buddy Jim Brain has an update on his experiments with DMA and Nikoko, which is becoming more successful. Um, and that is this link right here. And Jim also has prototype boards for testing for a 512K Cocoa flash cartridge that is programmable from the Cocoa itself. Is that this? Yes. So this is a 512K Cocoa flash cartridge that's programmable from the Cocoa. Okay, and this is the Jim Brain of flash. Okay, and then, um, Gotcha. Did you already go by the Coco DMA that he wrote that I went white through, paper on? Yeah, I went through by it pretty quickly. I, I, I'm i sorry, I'll go back to that one. Yeah, so Jim Brain has an update on his experience with DMA. Oh, okay. And so, yes, he has, here he has an article, uh, which is link number, well, four, for the first link of story four. Yeah, and, so this uh, is an interesting, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fly by this, and I'm going to post the link here in a second, but this is an interesting talk about direct memory access and how to, to do that on the color computer. Um, now, I'm not an expert, a technical expert on it, but there is a way to do this on the Cocoa 1 and 2, but the Cocoa 3 um, has a hardware, uh, would, would requires a hardware fix. So even if you're not technical, you can still skim uh, this article on the Retro um, site because actually Sockmaster ends up chiming in um, because he's actually done some work around this. So it's a really interesting um, article, um, and it also goes through kind of what the benefits of direct memory access is. I mean, if I can, in, in a nutshell, you know, faster graphics and, and games, um, that could be possible. So I um, highly recommend just checking it out and, um, you know, just flipping through it and uh, skimming the article from Jim Brain. I mean, we're when anything that Jim Brain pr produces and, and, and ships, we get really excited about. And he, is, he has produced and shipped this white paper. Thank you, Rob, for filling the details that my knowledge in this area is a little limited. So <laughs> thank you very much for no, jumping in. Anything, anything Sockmaster comments on, you know, I, I, my radar goes up. And then the 512K flashboards we talked about. All right, mm -hmm. so now you thought one bouncing ball was good. We've got two bouncing balls this week. Is anyone else on the panel? I'm just curious. Can anyone hear us? I yep. am back yeah, now. Here. Okay, they're going to hear you. Quiet. They are riveted by our just, conversation. It's not just the Nick and Rob show, so you know, feel free to chime mm -hmm. in and say if you I'm think it's interesting or you don't. or just well, chat. Chat's know. a little bit dead, too, today for some reason. I can okay, call well, for you. Well, the panel's pretty dead, you know. It goes both ways. So maybe if the panel's more lively, we'll we'll get more more chat. Um, so you know, if you if you want to just go mm hmm or something, so that we know the rest of the panel is uh, listening, that would be great. Because <laughs> um, it feels like Nick and I are just having our uh, you know having our own conversation. Fine. So, yeah. so Rob, what you doing later? Yeah, really. <laughs> By the way, um, snoring it would even be better than silence. So I appreciate whoever uh, fell asleep. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> 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 
Uh, All right. So uh, we have a second bouncing ball demo. This, this was done by uh, Alan Huffman. And uh, this one. Oh, okay. Wait, uh, that, sorry, that looks like the same one. There's two links. No, this one is Coco. Bouncing oh, ball. Really? So it's done oh, in okay. Cocoa. It was converted to Coco. Yes. So that's so the first one is MC10. I don't know if this is the same code or a different code, but it's on a Coco. So there you go. Now the Coco def well the Coco had a bouncing ball already, but now we have another one. So can't have too many bouncing balls. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> and then he has some information. And then there's on also sorry. Okay. Yes, Coco Cross developing with MS Visual Studio Code. So he's just uh, talking about a uh, quick blog to some Coco-related extensions for Microsoft's Visual Studio for code editing that is available on Windows, Mac, and Linux. So if you want to do, if you want to use uh, Visual Studio for Coco development, you got a way to do so. Okay, right. Visual Basic, that's right. Extensions. Visual Studio, yeah, yes. Yes, yeah, so we might have to revisit some of this with um, like Curtis and uh, next week because some, some of the stuff like that, that's pretty significant to be able yeah. to use yeah. Visual Studio. We're getting a 50,000. Visual Studio is free for Microsoft, isn't it? Yep. I think it is, yeah. Uh, the, the core version is, yeah, like to do small projects. And yeah, it's it's they released it for free. So having cool. yeah, extensions to that is a big deal. So this is a 50,000 yeah. foot view of some of this stuff, but yeah, we're definitely going to want to circle back and dig into some of the stuff deeper with uh, people involved like Alan. Absolutely. So there's a lot of the cool development stuff going on in the community right now. So uh, Michael Pitsley shared a photo of his Coco 2 and Coco 3 system side by side. He has a much cleaner area than I, which I assume is Curtis. So there's his, uh, there's his setup. We encourage people to send to show pictures of their setups just for to. It's uh, <laughs> I just oh, saw the sign was, in the top left hand corner there that made me. Now that up. is a that is a really good warning, and I wonder if Michael <laughs> Pitsley could use uh, that uh, fart detector from uh, from yeah. TJ Chris. We should we should let him know about that because apparently yeah, he doesn't know a, that. Bit of an issue in his uh, in his office with uh, methane emissions. Yeah, methane emissions, and I he would he might not need too. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I mean. uh, yes. So it's not just the cows that are contributing. David's been known to be owners. full of uh, hot air. That's right. It is much so, too clean. So thanks for sharing that. We're interested to see different setups. It's uh, pretty cool to see how people are rebuilding their uh, nostalgia. Uh, what happened now? You oh, I stopped shared. sharing by accident. Sorry. That's okay. The stop um, sharing. We're going to have, we're going to, we're going to, well, I'm not done William yet. Smith. I'm not... No, not at all. I'm just getting the next link ready. The, I'm killing uh, time for you, Nick. <laughs> are you kicking, are you playing me off? Are you, uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> just time. William Smith uh, is next. All right. Sorry. I accidentally hit the, I accidentally hit the stop sharing button. Now I'm sharing my screen. So, all right. So uh, the stupid button came down and made me hit it. There we go. There we go. Yes, William Smith showed a prototype board he is using to get a Coco One keyboard working over USB. 
So there you go. Okay, and why would you want to do that? Okay, more well, maybe for running emulators, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. you get a more authentic experience. Um, I know for VCC, I can't figure out when I use the Cocoa layout. I can't figure out where some of the stuff is, like the at key, and I end up using the natural. But it's kind of fun to use the uh, the um, the muscle memory from the Cocoa keyboard when you're using the Cocoa emulator. And David, you're work, you're working on like the mouse stuff. Does does this help you at all with like keyboard or is there any connection there? Um, Which, well, <laughs> the uh, David Ladd, sorry. Yeah, the the uh, I can't see if that's what the uh, the microcontroller is using. I'm assuming it's going to be one of the Arduino micros or whatever. But yeah, those. Those are handy. Um, uh, Paul Fiscarelli did something like that for his uh, keyboard project for the. Uh, Might be a teensy. Yep. Um, I know um, it would be really nice to be able to. Uh, <clears throat> use the smaller microcontroller development boards to do um, things um, because like my mouse project is using the nano um, because it's just easier to get a, a development board that's got all the components already on it instead of trying to, you know, source all the parts yourself, especially in that the one's, States. that one's a teensy. The Ooh, board. It, that's the name of that development board. It's a Teensy. Oh, okay. Well, geez, he could have um, saved some money and went with a uh, a uh, our, what is it? The Atmega 32U4 based uh, Arduino Micros because yeah, that's like a twenty dollar part that he's using there, and I think the Atmega 32U4s you can get for like. Those small development boards, I think three bucks. So, can you still buy the uh, connector that the uh, keyboard ribbon cable plugs into, or is that salvage? Um, the keyboard connectors. Um, I know Mark Marlette had some. Um, I'm assuming you you still can. Um, a really small small card edge connector would probably also work. Um, It's uh, but yeah, it's uh, okay. I'll have to research that, like uh, Mauser or DigiKey or something. I myself would probably cheat and use a card edge connector that had the right amount of stuff, and uh, uh, you can get cheap, um, all those translucent playing cards. I'd probably get a, a set of those cheap translucent playing cards that are made out of that thin plastic and cut them and use them for spacers. Sure. Looks like uh, Paul Fiscarelli says, yes, they're available through DigiKey. Okay. All right. So now you can connect your Coco One keyboard over USB. Um, and that is, that is actually very handy because, um, for example, 
well, just even with a regular Coco keyboard, if I do get the the new Coco keyboard by Ed Snyder, um, I'll have a spare Coco keyboard, and I don't. It won't be a Coco One, but if I have a way to connect it to USB, that'll make VCC and Mame a lot easier to to deal with. Um, half oh, half my is. time is spent. Yeah, half my time is 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 spent trying to figure out like exactly what keys you know are mapped to, to the Coco. And who doesn't love that chicle keyboard? <laughs> well, that's true too. So there it is in action. So yeah, there it is working very nice. That's cool. So yeah, I would imagine the... if it's Coco One, it would also work with Coco Two keyboards, right? Are they the same? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's, you would uh, think. The Coco Two and Three have Mylar. I think the Coco Ones have. Isn't it a slightly different styled connector, but it's still ribbon. Well, the earlier mm-hmm. earlier ones were uh, uh, pin connectors, or they're they're wired. The later Coco One keyboards had the same Mylar that the Twos had. Okay. So up to the. D board? I'm not sure what E board had, uh, but F boards, of course, got the flat ribbons, whereas D board has the uh, pin connectors. Yeah. So if J- Jim Brain wants to write another white paper and he wants to do it on a Coco One keyboard, he can plug this in and. <laughs> and uh, that would, uh, be, it would give it authenticity for sure. And uh, <laughs> in chat, Paul is mentioning that uh, the USB keyboard kits are available at the fest. So, Paul, how okay. much are they? He already get, gave the information. It's listed oh. in the... Uh, well, he says 2 to $3 for the connector, but he'll ah. have the USB kits. I don't know what those are going to cost. So, Paul, Paul uh, feel free to let us know. But if you're interested in this type of solution um, and you don't want to build it yourself, uh, you'll be able to get it from Paul Fix Fiscarelli at CocoFest. Oh, another reason to go. That's very cool. Another reason to go. And uh, oh. what's next? New story? Yeah. We're not going to let All right. silly little virus stop us, are we? <laughs> uh, so Canadian Retro Things got his second package this past week and goes through it, including his Coco 2, or so Coco 2. And he also has some strange cables, cables that came with it, and he's asking for help identifying now, so that second link that's in our notes, Nick, goes right to that um, timestamp if you want to. Yeah, I was go just going to. Gonna, oh, you want me to do that? Okay, I was just going to. Or, uh, or you could skim. Yeah, if you know where it is. Well, I was, yeah, I don't know if you want to see any of the unboxing at all or anywhere. It's okay. Uh, oh, yeah, we can show the unboxing. Yeah, whatever you want. We'll show a, little bit of the un- show a little bit of the unboxing. I'll just turn that down. Oh, okay. He's, he's he's like a professional YouTuber. Okay, so yeah, so he's got a whole video that you may want to watch. Now, if I but if I don't only want want to watch American retro things, is there a cha- channel for that? Um, why would you want to? Is what I want. <laughs> I mean, now you can watch like um, what are those shows like Storage Shed Pickers or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so is that is that Coco even legal in Canada? <laughs> I don't it know because English. it's only got the underwriters laboratories and not the Canadian. Is that what you guys use? You well? No, no, no. It's only yeah. got English. Yeah. Well, I I, I didn't want to point this out at the time, but I noticed that the book that Bruce is selling, they spelled it 
American as well. So I have a bit of an issue with it, but not. Oh. But I don't want to detract from sales. So don't let us stop you from yes. getting it. Will but, Bruce Moore uh, make his 40th anniversary book available in French as required by law? So, so T equals out. 260. That should be the four minute mark, right? Maybe I should have uh, queued up yeah, that looks one. Like a, it looks really good. Oh, is that condition. it? Well, no, I'm just looking at the. There it is. Okay. There's a strange cables. Okay. Can so, you make it bigger? That's what you said. I was trying to pause it and then he did that. Why'd you do that? Well, the bottom one looks like a homebrew cassette cable. Yeah, that's what it is. See if I can like. find it again. Sorry, guys. It's all right. I'll pause it and he did a big graphic over the whole screen for some reason. There we go. There it is. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so, it looks like it's got RCA, red, white, and yellow. I don't know what that gray plug is, some sort of a DIN. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that's, uh, is that a cassette? Is that just a cassette? Well, that's what I was wondering if you put it into like a stereo or like a tape deck or something. But I mean, on a normal cassette deck, they're not RCA, they're one eighth and one quarter inch uh, TRS. Eighth and six. Yeah. yeah. Mini and sub mini. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'd have to see the the, the, the actual DIN plug to see if it's a cassette. Or and the top uh, one is mini dims yeah. to uh, uh, DB. MIDI, maybe? Could be a track to Coco. Yeah. Well, if anybody has if anybody has any uh, any idea of what these cables are, if you want to comment on his video, okay. yeah, I think yeah, we need link. to know more about how many pins are each in each of those plugs. Maybe we could ask for more detailed pictures yeah. of the pinouts and that. But, Just ask uh, Paul Fiscarelli in the chat; he's uh, put him to work. Yeah, Come Paul, on, Paul. figure it speaking out. Of which, <laughs> speaking of which, he says the uh, uh, USB keyboard kits were fifteen bucks, and. Uh, um, Curtis mentioned you can increase the uh, the size with the one of those. You, know, you could do that, or you could do the one to the left. I think that might increase. Theater yeah, mode? that'll help some. Nope, that yeah, try that one. Mode. There you go. And uh, and as you as you were starting to say, Mark, uh, fifteen dollars for full kit from Paul Fiscarelli to connect uh, US, USB yeah, keyboard USB to USB. Keyboard. So yeah. So any, anybody can help them. That'd be great. So the bad, sing, bad signal has been put out. A man need, needs cocoa help, and the community will come together and cocoa solve this mystery. Cocoa talkers assemble. <laughs> uh, I think it's anyone's guess until we can see how many pins are on that uh, white uh, DIN connector. Yeah. Well, it looks like a mini see. PC keyboard, doesn't it, from back in the day? Like a PS2 keyboard on PCs? Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The shells were the same. You just had anywhere from uh, two to I, eight pins in them. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe that's what we do. Follow up with a question. Can you show us the pinouts more closely? Maybe we'll help you. Yeah. Uh, but great to see Canadian retro things actually uh, talking about the cocoa. And, um, you know, it's just, just another Canadian taking American YouTube jobs. But, okay. Well, I mean, we're we are... Them. We are your most trustworthy source for news and information here in Canada. So. <laughs> well, I mean, that's I mean, fake the white news. cable. No fake news up here. Sorry, go that's ahead. Right. The white <laughs> cable is su suggests with the colors it suggests it may be a video audio cable, but yeah, I don't know where it would plug in unless it's just something custom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we'll uh, we 
you know, everyone uh, try to help out, help this guy out. Um, do we have a new Coco Thoughts? Oh, we have one oh. more story. Oh. Which you don't have probably. This might be the one that Curtis added last minute, so I apologize. I, I apologize uh, to you. Uh, no, sir, I apologize to you. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> After we're sorry. You, yeah, we're, we're sorry. sorry. So I, so um, Brian Shubring reported on his test of Jim Bray's new Coco Midi Pack and appears to be passing with flying colors. Or okay, colors. and this is where I told Brian we would we would um, connect with him. If, is he still on the panel, Brian Shubring? You out there? Sure, I am. Oh, so we're up to the anything. Would you like to introduce the the Midi discussion? We have your post up on Facebook. Anything you want to talk about, your experience with it? Um. Well, I can do a quick uh, short demo. Okay. Do you want to uh, turn the, take, take the ball sharing. over to Brian? That's sure. it for the news, so I'll stop sharing. Nothing better than a live demo. And a surprise live demo. <laughs> Guys, you're in for a treat. <laughs> can everybody hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you. Good. Nick, can good. you post? Can you can you post the link to Facebook in the in the oh one yes. of the chat windows? Because I don't yes, have sir. that one. Yeah. No, I know. I apologize. Yeah. Oh, but, we're uh, that already. We're going to start apologizing again. <laughs> but Brian, the floor is yours. Tell us about well, MIDI. Yeah. Well, up here is the pack that uh, Jim Brain produced, and we'll be selling in that. Um, and uh, as you can see, I got two red cables on it, one for MIDI in, one for MIDI out. Um, you know, I've got synthesizers here already queued up. I got Coco MIDI Pro here. And um, one of the things that uh, we, the test that I needed to do for Jim was whether or not the MIDI pack was actually passing the data to um, the computer. And one of the nice things that... Uh, Coco Media Pro does, it actually has a monitor and it's monitoring the addresses from off the MIDI pack. You can see nothing's coming in, but as soon as you press something, you get something coming through in that. And it does show that uh, the note, what note came on, what the velocity is, that's the note on, mm -hmm. the note again, and then of course, then it just sends the bit for uh, shutting it off, for the note off. So if I do it softly, the 63 changed to a 28, different note pressed. So that's so that that, that there validates that the MIDI pack is sending the information to the computer. Computer is reliably reading it, and uh, works great. The and uh, let's get back here. And one of the things that um, he Jim did when he did his test. He used um, a laptop with the MIDI conversion to the input, input and recorded, and well, not on Coco MIDI Pro, I believe. And then when he played it back, it sounded odd and off. Mm -hmm. I originally thought it was because that maybe too much stuff was getting bashed into the MIDI port, and the Coco MIDI Pro could not keep up with it. And you know, I put that uh, thought out there on several different channels and it actually is not true the coco can keep up with it the fact is is that when you like if i took and played a song from off this keyboard here 
what I mean by playing a song is that this is a feature for where you can play a song where I press a button, press another button, mm-hmm. and, it, and it plays it. What's What was happening is that a lot of times um, you don't, when, when the music first starts, it does not send out the MIDI patches. So to know this channel, this instrument, this channel, this is right down, down the line. With drums, it's usually pretty um, standard, which is a channel 10. Um, but And that's what was, he was actually experiencing, is that he recorded it correctly, but was playing back onto a, a different synthesizer or with different instruments on the, on the different channels that were used. So if, if the channels were set out, if the patch was sent out before, um, you start or uh, after you start recording, then when you play it back, then the then all the patches would be fine. And that and um, just just to illustrate real quick, and I'll make keep this short. Record. Where are we at here? And. Just record something real simple here from off, off this, just real short. And going to keep that take, and you should be able to hear it. And, and you may or may not hear it with the correct instruments. I don't know. It depends upon what the last instrument was last on the synthesizer. So it's close. Okay, so now this software is playing it back through the keyboard. Yes, I actually recorded a performance from off the keyboard. You know, it was, it was all the it was like about four or five channels, I believe, being bashed into the into the uh, MIDI pack. It recorded mm-hmm. everything, and then it just played it back. And it was very close to what you oh yeah recorded. oh yeah. yeah exactly identical yeah exactly almost What's identical. the software. And What's this the software Cocoa called? Mini, uh, Cocoa Mini Pro is, okay. is, is the software here. Now I never used it when I when I started going through. I I, I initially started with Lyra, then I heard about Ultramuse, or uh, Ultramuse Three. So that's what mm-hmm. I was using then, um, and then I did a little bit with Musica and that, but it was mostly with the Ultramuse because I was more familiar reading music rather than playing it, other than on the guitar. Guitar I can play, decent, halfway decent at least, when I practice. But um, a keyboard, I learned how to play the keyboard a little bit, but I saw a practice of about uh, 40 years or so that mm-hmm. <laughs> I no longer <laughs> can do that. But So I was able to score things in Ultramuse using the um, what you see is what you get screen because you actually move the notes onto a staff, kind of like uh, Lyra does. And that, which was uh, for uh, DOS, uh, Ultramuse three, uh, that Mike Newton wrote was uh, for um, was both on uh, Linux and also on um, for the Coco three underneath the OS nine level two. So that's pretty much all that I have there. I just wanted to uh, just let everybody know that MIDI pack here is definitely works well. And the one thing that I do have to say is that. Because of the type of clock circuit that's being used, it's actually a module rather than discrete components. Um, it's more rock on steady. With the discrete components, you can sometimes shift the clock just a little bit left and right. 
in that, you know, so it may be a little faster, a little bit slower, so the bar rate may not always clock on correctly. And I think that might have been some of the issues that I had originally when I recreated the Coco Mini Pro Pack, um, you know, through the uh, Glen side. And um, some of them didn't work right. And it uh, was actually the clock circuit wasn't uh, clocking correctly. And once I replaced the component and made sure that the clock was uh, on the right frequency, then it would work fine. So with this being dead on, the throughput seems to be a little bit more uh, better. It's not dropping uh, frames or anything like that, like you can if, if the clock's off just a little bit. So that's all that I have. Okay. So, so, so you, you would give it a thumbs up is what I'm hearing. I would, <laughs> give, I would give you four thumbs up if I had thumbs on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, do you happen to know, because Jim Brand said he would post it on his website when you gave your your four thumbs up and you have so do you know if it's on uh, i don't i haven't seen it on the site i checked two days ago um when when i got the pack i tested it it worked and i checked it again uh, um the next day to check up test a few other things you know and i communicate with him but i haven't heard anything back so he may be busy with his uh, other work and that uh that he's uh, been doing and that so but yeah, um, okay. right now it's uh, up to Jim uh, to decide when he's going to put it on pre-sale and that. And um, I know everybody's excited to see it. <laughs> okay. So if you want to, if you want to turn your screen back over to Nick, Nick, we can we can show the MIDI um, news item, and then we have a live question in the chat from Amigos Retro Gaming um, that right. I think we can answer. Yes. Um, we can, but let's okay, throw. A, let's, I'm gonna let's, let's look at the MIDI again. Just, and I can't. Um, I can't share you the link you posted in, in Zoom because I. That's on my iPad. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not on YouTube on my computer because I've got a long story. So that's okay. No, I'm. I'm in the same boat. I'm using my tablet. Okay. Um, no, that's game home? on. Yeah. Let's yeah. Go back to the. Uh, here we go. Is that what you want? Yeah, to I just want to. I just want to go over this link because we don't have the link for this in the chat. But oh, you can I find. See. Yeah, you can find this um, by going to YouTube and just uh, look. Which which forum is this in? The the main color computer forum, Nick. Uh, I think it is. I think so. But anyway, it's basically what you just heard from Brian, right? That that the mini pack works and. Um, It'll be uh, posted soon on the Go for, for Retro store um, as soon as Jim Brain gets to it. And he should have plenty of time since he's not been in the chat uh, trolling us today. So, Jim, I expect uh, the MIDI for sale very soon. Um, and I'd like to order that as well. He is sick, so, though, isn't uh, he? Don't make excuses for him. Poor guy. <laughs> poor, poor Jim. <laughs> <laughs> No, now you want to be nice to Jim Bray. Uh, <laughs> but before we go into the game on news, we have a live chat about the SDC from Amigos Retros Gaming, who is going, who, who are going to be in our game on uh, segment. Um, so for a multi-disc game in the SDC, and keep me honest, everybody, but what I do is uh, you'll see that the Contras, for example, uh, is a folder, right? Uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, all the other games are not folders. 
uh, but the contrast is. So you want to highlight the contrast, do Shift M to mount the folder, and then um, start the game after hitting Shift M. When the game starts, um, it will ask you to insert disk two. Um, now you have you have to hit the button, and sometimes for some SDC cases you need a pen in order to hit the button. But if Contras asks for disk two and you have mounted it correctly using Shift M before you launched, then when it hits uh, it asks for disk two, you hit the button. You'll see it flash twice, and that means you have disk two inserted. And then when Contras asks for disk three or disk four, you do the same thing and you'll see three flashes for of the, the LED for disk three and four flashes for disk four. So uh, Amigos guys, let me know if that helps. I believe the Does file I, names have to be something one, something two, something three, which on the STC image they would be. Yeah, on the, if, on the STC image they would be all set up. So my understanding is you're already working off of a... Um, folder in the SDC that's already been set up the right way. If you're starting from scratch, that's a different question. So, um, and Ken asks, how many times does it flash for disk zero? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Divide by zero error. Um, what do you do to launch the game after you shift M? You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do it right now. We're going to do it break, live. I usually break out in the DOS and then load it. Go well, load it from there. I'm actually going to try it right now on my system. Uh, so, do we want to do a commercial break while you're setting up? Oh, um, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to share the screen, so I'm just going to try it really quick, and then we'll go to commercial. Um, but I can see. Let's see. We got to note about the mini have, pack. It is not yet on GoForRetro.com. Yes. Okay, that's good news. So if I if I shift M on the Contras, then what you want to do, amigos, is after you hit Shift M, you're going to see C dot bin and then you just hit enter on c dot bin and as long as you've done shift m first you'll be able to use the button does that make sense and i'll post this in the chat so why don't we take a commercial um you're welcome to play the new coco thoughts as well uh, before or after the commercial mike and then we'll come back with game on and we'll see if amigos have uh, figured out how to launch contras Okay. You want to uh, stop sharing your screen, Mick? Okay. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If they remade Amazing World of Malcolm Order for modern smartphones... Would they keep getting bricked? We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself 
uh, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Land. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest. Having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now, everything is such a struggle. And <laughs> if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Ease of Use. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately, only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Welcome to the game on portion of our show. Um, we am going to start off by reading some the news that is game related. So um, our top story over on oh I, I need to share. I'm sorry. This share is my, yours. Uh, my first time running this, so little. All right, can you see that? Not yet. How about now? Yes. All right. So our, our friends on the Amigos Retro Gaming channel posted a uh, playthrough of uh, Berserk with an S or Haywire. Uh, Berserk was the Berserk clone, cleverly disguised with an S, and then and then later renamed to Haywire because the disguise wasn't that clever. And uh, so they did a they they did a playthrough. Uh, 
we'll jump ahead a little bit. So this is a really good, uh, this is a running a Cocoa 3, so you're not going to see the score properly because it's using a semi-graphics mode. Run Cocoa 1, 2, you'd see the scores. So, um, and there's Evil. Now, I heard an interesting thing. Apparently in Berserk, he's named Evil Orville, not Evil Otto. That was a little tidbit from Curtis. So, uh, anyways, this was, this was a really well done arcade conversion, and the guys at Arcade at Amigos Retro Gaming um, will have a podcast dedicated to this game coming up uh, in the next uh, couple weeks. So there you go. Uh, now, I hate that menu. Wish get rid of it. Okay, so Jay Searle has posted his fourth vlog for his farming game, Coco Grow, and already has a second beta binary so people can try it out. So I believe this is the game he's doing for the uh, for the uh, Coco Fest challenge that Coco Crew had had uh, issued, I believe. So uh, yeah, he's, he's got a beta going. So if you want to check that out, you can get it from here. You guys can hear me yep. okay? It's and awfully quiet. Yeah, I can hear you, and um, I hope you can hear me. Uh, um, but uh, I did try this out. Um, it's fairly easy to actually to get on a DSK file using, uh, I have a tool from Paul Fiscarelli, but that might be an issue for some people who don't know how to do that. Um, but uh, cococrow.bin will, to work with the SDC, you'll have to use um, Toolshed or something else to get it on um, a DSK. But if anyone has any questions about how to do that, just uh, reach out to us on Discord and we can help you or or we can throw it into a DSK for you. And I believe it's an isometric farming game, correct? Like yes, a, it is. A game presented like a Zaxxon kind of uh, perspective with the ISO. Yep. Yep. So there you go. Oh, oh, and it, speak it, of the devil, there it is. It <laughs> why, why talk about it when you can show it? So... Uh, you know, Nick, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Hey, everyone. Hello, and welcome to the latest update for my... So we won't play the whole isometric thing. Men minutes, but we'll just jump ahead to see. Yeah, and it's great. You know, and then Nick, uh, Nick, you and I play uh, are playful about our differences about the Cocoa 1 and 2 and 3, but it is nice to see um, some games that really never made their way to Cocoa 3 and... Um, you know, see them take advantage of 16 colors like this. So I'm yes. excited. Um, I've given him a few, a few a feedback from, you know, issues that I had with it. And, um, you know, anyone is welcome to try it out. Hey, Nick, you want to hit the uh, uh, enlarge button? Yeah, it might start playing automatically, but it's okay. Oh, it didn't this time. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm so it's basically, uh, Oh, I like the Coco 3. You know I'm just joking around when I say that. The Coco 3 is awesome. I love all things Coco. Don't try this on an MC-10. That's all. Uh, who knows? Jim Gary might be working on it oh, as we I'm speak. Sorry, I'm, I'm being told that Jim Gary has already ported it to <laughs> during the show. <laughs> all right. Uh, Rob's Retro Rumble, Rad, sorry, Rob's Retro Rambles tries Airball on a Dragon 32 this week. Uh, I guess I'm stuck in theater mode. I don't know how to get out of it. That's okay. So I, I guess this is. Yeah. So this is pretty cool. Like you can do, 
You could do a lot with uh, semi-graphics yeah. mode. Yeah, it's very colorful. Yeah. Very, Who knew very semi-graphics? Colorful. This would be the year of semi-graphics. That's right. Semi-graphics kind of life. And there is a video demonstration, I think, on the next link that we'll be able to look at more closely. Okay, there we go. I, I got confused. Yeah, so let's... Uh, yeah, this Curtis Boyle put together this list for us, so, you know. Thank you, Curtis. Cheap Canadian labor. Um, Boy, your YouTube suggestions are a little interesting. This is an unsigned in user. So I don't know where it's. Yeah, so anyway, just more games. How, do we, do. how do we install an outhouse? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That, that, that'll be, that'll be our together. next segment. <laughs> yep, this is outhouse. Uh, I guess they're still in use in Canada. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Nick, uh, you haven't asked to go use the outhouse during the show. Well, the, okay, the links apparently are out of order with the <laughs> what I have. Uh, Rob's Retro Rambles and Airball. Remember what I said last time? Same thing up Yes, that's, that's no problem. Hello, oh, this is this guy. We love this guy. This is Airball for the Dragon 32. Yeah, we like this guy. Oh, it will the, be. One time time game. Yeah. The, uh, again. A, don't skip by all his funny comments. See? Probably. <laughs> well, this is a 15-minute video, so... Yes, it's another micro deal game. They'd be all right so far, so I figured uh, give them another go. Ooh, music. Ooh. Well, that's a bit fancy, isn't it? <laughs> this bodes well. Well, I just love that. So warning, my partner Craig McMorris. This event was just a pie in the sky idea a season ago, and now it is must watch television. Well, Some other audios come said it any better myself. You see these viral clips flying around, through, and one of your other uh, YouTube surgery, but he was getting so much cover it's one of our favorite events <laughs> one of the other tabs uh, yeah i don't know which video. one you, you can write no it's there, the one with a little, little oh, there it icon is. on the tab got it got it got it you can oh. use the tab if that ever cats and dogs <laughs> sleeping together all right mass hysteria <laughs> you, you have auto you riding the toilet auto paper play. at costco yeah. all right i i tried to stop sharing sound did i actually do anything all right, Oops. let's share again. Can you see that? Yep. All right. Wizard from Wizard's Quest, in quotes. Okay, so th there's another game before this. Oh, well. Has turned you into a ball and sent you to the dungeons to find and return a spell book so he can become a much more powerful wizard. Why'd you turn me into a ball if I'm looking for... Uh, you have to find the book before it can be turned yeah, back you guys in. you got to check this video. Um, he always, fire and he always says a little move. things are which are hilarious. There's your pal artifacting oh, right there. Not, oh, Look at is that. Is it I've never actually When he got the one yep. here. I don't know where the other one got to. Come on out. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's not as easy with these, is it? No wonder they thought it was crazy. Don't come out as easily. It's a lot like an Apple Apple II artifacting. Sorry, 9-pin. Come on, where are you? 
I'm not sure I understand why that happens. Why they Adolf Hitler? I thought they would What's see Edward uh, Sky, <laughs> Bob Yardley, Bill Shatner, Adolf Hitler, Hitler uh, Steve Hadaway. Hitler Hitler had a dragon. Well, I, I wasn't expecting Adolf Hitler on the high school table. <laughs> um Presley Key. Thank you. Nobody uh, expects Adolf uh, Hitler. Anyway, this video no. is very long. I don't know how much. This way. Show of it, okay. Oh, he's entering, entering his name. I better anyway, have one more game just to knock Adolf Hitler uh, off the high school table. He's funny. And, uh, uh, check out the video. Adam, he's funny. Any game that Hitler plays has got to be uh, an interesting yes. game. I mean, what are the odds of, of that happening? I mean, that is great. <laughs> what were his parents thinking? Yeah. All right, and Downland has been ported to the Nintendo Switch in Super Mario Maker 2. So Super Mario Maker is a game where people can make custom Mario levels. And uh, there's been some really interesting levels posted. So somebody recreated Downland using Super Mario Maker. I thought it was only the other way around. We did Nintendo games on the Coco. (laughs) Well, we're coming full circle, Mark. That's right. It's time to give back. That's right. So Do we have any go. video of it or just an uh, announcement? No, it just seems to be an announcement at Atari Age. Oh, that's very cool. Well, I hope so. it works out. And, and uh, um, we'll stay on top of Atari Age and see if it, uh, if it happens. And that does it for the news part of uh, Game On. So now we'll talk Alrighty. about last week's challenge of the week. Which That's is quite a challenge. You it know, was, was uh, what am I doing here? Hold on. Well, I'll talk about the game here while you're um, getting set up. So, Amazing World of Malcolm Mortar was the game, and I will. And a lot of people were concerned about this being a high score challenge. Um, now, when I went to the Radio Shack and actually tried it out in the store, uh, I I was not. <clears throat> I was not too impressed, and I did not buy the game. Um, but now that you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I think um, I know our uh, one of our players was very very impressed with it. I actually did start to get into it. Um, it's a hard game, but it's it's um, you know more challenging than the typical Coco game or the typical typical eight bit arcade games were at that time. So. Bravo to Greg Zumwalt for for a colorful game and uh, real really fast motion, real real good arcade um, uh, speed and and it is a lot of fun to play as long as you get over the you know the learning curve. And I'm afraid uh, for people like CV Stroh who don't want to read the manual, uh, you know well, it may not be for you. But uh, that's just can, it. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I had the game as well. I actually owned a cartridge as a teenager and I didn't play it. And I if had I read the manual. It actually explains it pretty well. Because the odd thing is, the very first level you start on, on is not a level. It's the lair, which you're supposed yeah. to, which is the main objective of the game is to capture Malcolm Mortar. So you start off in his lair, which is just a series of pillars. And there's nothing you can do in the first level because you don't have any bricks. So you just got to yeah. beeline for the exit. Beeline for the then, exit in that first level. So that's a pass. Um, then you start you, making... You sorry, have a green screen up, and I don't know why, but... Oh, this is my background. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up stuff. Oh, maybe just pull something up so it's not just a big green square. square. Um, but uh, but uh, Ken Reichert is saying I wasn't 
impressed with the game back in the day, but now after playing it, I still don't like it. <laughs> and that's fair, but I mean, and I do, fair. I do actually think it's neat. Um, but I mean, different people have different uh, tastes in games, and that's totally cool. So okay. um, and that's why you're wrong, and that's why Jason Reichert is wrong. <laughs> oh, so here that's we have our list. Team buzzard bait. So we'll read through the list of participants, which is currently on the screen. This is the uh, wrong list. Um, just so you know, this, this is, is not the list week's. of participants. <laughs> no, this is last week's. Are you Oops. sure? Yes, I, I'm. I'm sure because I know Bryzer wasn't. It, unless there's a new list. Did Coco Man come in three? I doubt it. No, this isn't. <laughs> this isn't the high. This isn't the high score. This is the participants. Oh, you just have them like randomly listed? No, alphabetical. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Sorry. I, I'll keep my mouth shut. So this is the <laughs> list of participants alphabetically, and then you're going to roll the video of the top ten. I see how you're doing it. So Very this good. is. So I just threw this up because you didn't want the, the green screen. So rather than just read from it, I threw it up on the screen. So our list sure. of participants, this is a well-oiled machine, guys. Obviously, the brutal has played, paid <laughs> off big time. Um, so anyway, our list of participants this week, uh, we had 11, which is awesome uh, because there was some uh, learning, learning curve with this game, and it definitely was one of the uh, ones that people were a little hesitant to try. So uh, this week we had playing, we had Bryza. Uh, country music legend Buck Owens, uh, who's really into Steve. Coco Man, David Croker, Ken Reichard, L. Curtis Boyle, Mr. Dave6809, yours truly, Rob Inman, the Devil Bunny, who is Aaron from Migos Retro Gaming, and Tom C. Those were our participants. So if you could roll the, I'll stop sharing, and you can roll the uh, List of okay, roll the actual top 10, top 10 from number scores. 10 to number one. figure this out i didn't realize okay so that's cool so there was the uh the list of participants and uh the scores uh, and, and who was the winner again let's again. let's promote well the, winner. the person with the highest score we'll say the winner but the person with the highest score was who was it i can't remember 
It was um, Ken Reichard. Buck Owens. Asked if, if this will, segment will be renamed Buck Owens Corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've joked about it, to be honest. Uh, Buck Owens is actually is a very good player. Oh, He's I'm going to share. Human being. Please. I'm going to share because sharing is caring. Um, so we did get, we did get a couple of tips in. Uh, can you see that? So that was uh, that was a winning strategy for. Um, oh, actually, I have a video. Let's see if I can show this. Okay, so lots of uh, helpful videos out there. So here's Buck um, Owens winning the game. Oh, he's winning the game. He trapped Malcolm. All right. So he did it with five. 65. So, yes, this is the Buck Owens tip of the week. Um, so there is a screenshot of his of his trap. So he made a roundabout that he could make uh, chase Malcolm around yeah. and trap him in. That's the part I was just starting to learn. Um, but that is a, that is very clever. So he did it in five bricks, which I believe that would mean the first time you go through your first three levels, I believe you get two bricks. And in the next three levels, you get three. So I believe he would have had to play five uh, normal levels to collect the number of bricks to do this. No, six. And, One, two, three, and by five, the way, six. if you don't have enough, if you don't have enough, enough bricks, you're, you're screwed. Yes. No, no. Every time yeah. you play the three, the three levels, you collect gold bricks. Yeah. So, but if you don't collect enough and you end up in the level, um, yeah. you're, you're so in trouble. Buck Owens sent another tip in where in the later levels, when you spawn, there's very often a red guy right there. So as soon as you spawn, throw up a gold brick, uh, sorry, a, a, a temporary brick, make sure that your way is clear and then lay the dynamite and go. And That's laugh right. at, and laugh as he, he can't get you. Ha ha! So thanks for that tip. And then we also got another uh, possible. This would have been a win if uh, Mr. Dave could have done it, but he wasn't able to finish it. But this is another way of capturing them, which only needed four bricks. So that's another way. Mm. Um. Yeah, this game was hard to score because the game, the sc your score was actually a combination of point accumulation and health. So you can you can end up with a really nice score, but then end up losing it all because you get shot by the red guy with porcupine quills. So that made this game a little challenging for our scoring purposes, but I, I do think it was a worthwhile game to play. Oh and yeah. Now that I understand how it works, I've got a new appreciation for it, and we'll probably play it more. Yeah, I agree. Does anybody else have any comments either in chat or on the panel about? Uh... Yeah, I could comment on the game. Okay, please do. Um, I find it interesting because you sort of can gamble your points. You know, do you want to capture Malcolm or do you want to hang on till the next level? And you'll get more points for it, but he becomes harder to to capture. He just gets smarter. He wants to avoid the traps. Um, it really gets difficult. You know, you can just, at the end of the levels, burn off your gold bricks. Just pile them up somewhere and move on to the next stages. Keep trying. Keep going for a bigger score. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that Malcolm, so when I get to, like, I think, level four or five is when that first, I guess it's Malcolm, the dragon character. Yeah, the um, little guy on the screen there chasing. Uh, yeah. So you're saying I can avoid him and I can, can oh, yeah. keep going? Yeah, you can just the, use up your gold bricks and the uh, the gate will open. 
Okay, well, I had no, I had no freaking idea about that. So yeah, you can just is, build an elaborate trap if you want. So that then, means we have to redo the whole contest because. <laughs> <laughs> so I only, need it, I only need scores week. above hundred thousand. You can see the score on the screen here is twenty six thirty five. Now, if Malcolm would have been captured, you would have added five thousand to that, and that'd be your final score, and it'd be game over. Mm-hmm. But if you want to try for another round. You go ahead, go pile your gold bricks somewhere, make a more elaborate trap if you want, and just keep doing those levels. And it's fun, but I mean, it gets frustrating at the end there when you have all your your points banked up. And I mean, he gets fast and smart. I believe the so, higher level you get to, the more bricks you collect. Um, so as you but, as you progress through the game, it'll, it'll give you more and more bricks, so you can build a trap faster, like a more elaborate trap at an increasing rate yeah but he's smart he doesn't want to go in them uh he gets faster he's someone did a good job making this game yes greg zumwalt it's got the risk reward factor so So in this example if you wanted to to skip the level and avoid malcolm you'd have to get rid of oh you have two more you'd have to get rid of two more um yellow bricks right yeah and the gate will open They'll let you okay, out, I even know. if you don't trap them. So, and your bricks are saved till the next round. So, if you want to lay down some bricks strategically, so up near a wall, make a hallway, you can put your bricks down. Then the gate will open because you're out of bricks, and then you go to the next round. And then when you come back to Malcolm's lair, your golden bricks are still there, waiting for you to build on. See, that's the that's confusing. Every fourth screen is actually his lair. So the very first screen is his lair empty, and you can't do anything because you have no bricks. So you just have to make a beeline for the exit. Then you do three regular levels, and then you return to his lair with whatever gold bricks you've collected and lay them. And then you exit, repeat, exit, repeat, until you've trapped him in the lair. So it's a bit of an unusual layout. I thought the first level was just giving you, like, I could picture Tandy saying, "Like Greg, you made it too hard. Let, let him pass. <laughs> you know, let him pass the first level." So I thought it was just kind of like a, you know. Actually, you can get killed that first level if you run into Malcolm. You could and die. If, you, if you run into. So the strategy there is hug the walls. Just was that follow the, the walls. Stroll, uh, level. Yes. So, but that changes right out, You're dead. Yeah, that, that changes. If you're everything. playing on a higher level and your points get knocked down there, the little red guys. Uh, get you too much but you don't have to be scared of the blue robot he's actually fine you can chase him around or you can put a gray brick and he wants to come and destroy it and you can trap mm-hmm. him just by setting a brick he's coming for it but he's scared of you so you can chase him into a corner and i guess it was buck whose strategy was saying to trap the little blue robot then you don't have to uh, solidify make any red bricks you can just throw gray uh, gray bricks to trap the red guys Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I got that part down. Um, but easier said than just, done. So I can understand yeah. this game. This game is polarizing in its uh, in its opinion. Some people like it. Some people hate it. But uh, I think once you dig into it, if you're if you're lukewarm on the game and you dig into it, uh, you may end up really liking it. You just can't pick it up and play like an arcade game or like you know. Uh, space invaders it's not that type of game you've got to actually you know read the manual or have someone you know explain to you 
kind of because now I have now I know how to get past that that level and like I can I could totally redo this and you know, and, and apparently reading a manual is something that sixteen uh, year old me just would not do. I actually <laughs> well, yeah that that is absolutely true. I actually did read the manuals, but again, I never bought the game because I was turned off by playing it in the store. So I you know, the game. that's the thing that sucks. I bought it and just didn't play it because I was like, <laughs> see if I had bought it, really I would have read the manual. Yeah, well, you know, I had better things to do. I had time to read. I had better things to do. Oh, and retro innovations has popped in. He says, "I'm always scared of blue robots." Um, he says, "I always, I always play to get chartreuse bricks and fuchsia bricks. They are the best." Okay. Can someone kick Curtis Boyle out of the chat, please? He's saying disparaging things about. Yeah, Curtis stuff. apparently has you know so much free time to be in the chat, but he can't yeah. be in the show. Get back Ken. to work. Stop trolling. <laughs> Ken is just jealous. <laughs> okay, so he says Ken Reichert is just jealous because he sucks at it, and he likes buzzard bait, which means he has no taste. Yeah, that's, that's just uncalled for. That's just like uncalled vitriol. Uncalled that's a for personal vitriol. attack, I believe. Where it is, it's a, it's yeah. a hate crime, actually. But well, I wouldn't just go that far, but uh, you know, I, I, I would. <laughs> it's a, I believe he just gave Ken coronavirus. I think that's what he. <laughs> So um, Robert Murphy, sorry, just just covering the oh the yeah, chat. absolutely. Robert Murphy saying it sounds like ET for the twenty six hundred game of the Coco World. Now that is no, that is hate, hate speech. Yeah, that is that is uncalled for. <laughs> I that don't. Just, I think that's. Uh, I think you, you cross the line, Robert. Uh, yes, there is no landfill filled with these cartridges. As I'm no, aware of. I'm pretty sure that's that's not <laughs> the case. Um, back <laughs> to you, Nick Morota. So uh, thank you to those who participated this week. Uh, you know, like I said, numbers were down a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, the thing is, with these games, you're going to get uh, subjective tastes, and people will will uh, cling on one week, and another week may not be so enthralled. But that's totally cool. And the the, the real one of the goals of this is just to just to try different games. And uh, there are games I haven't tried. We've got one coming up in a couple weeks that. Uh, I totally forgot about the and the name. Didn't recognize the name, but then when I heard, the, when I saw, it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that game. So it's all about discovery. So uh, I think we've uh, we've uh, beat this one to death for this week. Unless anybody else has any uh, anything you want to pass on. No, my only comment is that I at some point we've got to get Buck Owens on the show to interview him because we've got Mr. Dave and he is very very good and we're going to have him coming up in the next segment. But, but Buck Henry, or what, Buck what's his Buck, Buck, Buck Owens. Buck, Buck Henry Owens. just died. But yeah, Buck, Buck Henry Owens. was a, yeah. yeah. We should Buck see if Buck Owens will bring his guitar on and play us a little, uh, right. little tune at the same time. So anyway, we bow down and we are not worthy. Thank you, Buck Owens. Yes. All right. So now it's time to unveil next week's game of the week. Oh, boy. You've Can't been wait. waiting. I think you'll like this one, Rob, because you actually mentioned it early on when we were conceiving of this of this uh, this uh, segment. Our next game will be Mr. Dig. That's a good one. That would be the uh, arcade clone of Mr. Do, uh, and because this game has three selectable skill levels, and I, and I remember level one being insanely easy we're gonna start on level two which is called hard okay well, um oh mr so, dig i did uh talk about this because yes 
You know why? Because um, I'm not a big fan of the gameplay of um, Pump Man, which is the other. Right. Right. That's a, that was a Dig Dug clone. So is this, is it not? No, this is a Mr. Do clone. They're actually oh. two separate games. Oh, okay. So in this, yes. So as you see, there's cherries. You can clear the board several ways. You can clear the board by just getting all the cherries. You can clear the board by killing the monsters. You can drop apples on them, just like you can drop rocks in Mr. D uh, Dig Dug. So it's a good game. You collect you collect the letters to get extra, which is sort of similar to uh, the Ladybug game we played a couple weeks ago. So we'll be playing this one on level two, because level one, I remember playing this as a kid, and I remember rapping, going to level, getting the screen 15, 16, whatever. So uh, we'll play this one on level two, which is called Hard. But I played it, and it's not that hard. But it's, it's easier than it's harder than level one. So okay. uh, you have all week to play that and get your get your uh, scores in in the uh, uh, in the Discord uh, channel, and maybe uh, we'll see if uh, we'll see if we can beat Buck Owens this week. Absolutely. I don't know who I'm voting for. I don't know. I don't know whether to vote. I don't know whether to root for Curtis or or, or Buck Owens because Curtis has a lot of misinformation about buzzer bait so i think uh between those two I, I, i'm rooting for um for buck owens but we'll see what happens or it could be somebody else we could have a, we could have a dark horse come in and take it all you never know we could and, and robert murphy is saying um he also wanted to point out he's only he was only saying about malcolm and versus et as the polarization part of it he wasn't <laughs> saying <laughs> so he's backtracking oh it's yeah that's yeah. okay yeah is he running for office by any chance but it's uh, true it's true the polarization part of it is 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 accurate and yeah. robert also says he's working on a game port to the coco so he's following this show to get player perspectives um, oh interesting so robert is developing and he is um we we thank him for that and amigos richard's gaming I love Mr. Do. I'm hoping it translates to this one, meaning the Coco. Oh, is that what, is that what uh, John said? He's saying, uh, Amigos Retro's Gaming is yeah, saying that he I loves, he loves I, the original game. And he's I believe that's Boat of Car, who's on there today, and who, who is John okay. from Amigos Retro Gaming. So, yeah, I hope so, too, because uh, I know John was not fond of Donkey King, so it'll be interesting to see what he uh, thinks of this one. So uh, I, I don't mean to keep bringing it up. It is a bit of a, a thorn in my side, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does make us mortal enemies, but that's okay. Um, okay. So yeah, that was that. Mr. Uh, Dig, everybody. Mr. Dig. So I hope you dig it. <laughs> and he's saying, does this work on the Coco 3? Yes. Which, uh, well, it works on any Coco, this one. We'll talk about that offline, but yes, yes. There, is, there is a Coco 3 version. We'll have to we'll talk Oh, about okay. Well, I mean, but you can use, with a, if you have a switcheroo, you, you just uh, flip, flip the switch and you get your artifact colors. Yes. So. Um, and it works under VCC, works under Coco 2. So, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of those RGB conversions uh, to PMO3, so I, I don't even bother with that unless somebody really, really needs one. But if you have nice. a switcheroo, um, you're you're in business. Yes. So there we go. I hope you guys are uh, have fun with this one this week. Yeah, so hey, Nick, before we go into our um, take a commercial break, did we want to talk about um, the most exciting news of the show, that there was yet another unintentional haiku oh 
I don't that have occurred that. last week. Do you have it? Our, we don't have a, a introductory video for Oh, do you have the, the actual, do you have the image? It's in it. Discord, and I'll show you where it is so you can Okay, hold on, it. hold on, hold on. Actually, I tagged you, so it'll be one of your tags in Discord. Uh, is it in the news? I believe it's Coco Talk. Coco Talk Lobby? News. It's in news topic suggestions. Okay, thank you very much. Our crack. Uh, well, I don't know if you're producing it today. You're, you're producing it, right? Uh, Mark's the producer, but uh, okay. You're, you're, as long you're, as he keeps the show, you're the direct. You're the director, then. <laughs> okay. All right. So I take no credit for the show. So our dramatic, our, our dramatic haiku reading of the week. That's right. Do you want to share that uh, visual that? Ben yeah, I'm going to try. I, I lost my. Uh... Ah. Can you see that? No. Do you want to see it or do you want me to just read it? I would like to see it because Ben. Okay. Then I will share again. Yes, because there's, the there's, the there's an image creating. that goes with it. Share screen two. All right. Okay. This week's so unintentional haiku. Can you click on it to make it bigger? Yes. All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, this was an unintentional haiku. Take it away, Nick. It's a small temple, so it doesn't include the um, El Curtis Boyle. Thank you, Bendrix, for noticing when we accidentally post poetry. And yep. if for, for more poetry like that, join us on Discord. I've posted the link in the chat. And All we'll right. be back with uh, acquisitions and Dave, Mr. Dave, 6809. Let's go to commercial, Mr. Mark. Hi, I'm Bruce Moore, and this is Jacob Moore. Gotcha. And we are the Forest of Doom guys and the Coco Forever guys, and we are Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Strobe. Imagine a different world. A world where Tandy Corporation has the upper hand. Where the Coco surpassed all competitors. And all you have to do is travel back in time without making a single mistake. Coco forever. definitely earn this office yes you're too kind and thank you you want to grab some food before we head back and look at that alt reality os9 module <laughs> it's only a 40 years past due but yeah sure
What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh. And I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you. But this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hi everybody, this is Siri, Apple's personal assistant and beatbox professional. You're watching Coco Talk, with the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. In a second, so... Um... Alright, welcome back. Do you want to, okay, do you want to talk about Bruce first, or the, uh, or the, uh... Game. No, we've got some breaking news on the N- Nintendo Switch conversion for okay, uh, that real quick, and, and then we'll get to Bruce. Uh, yes, and then we'll get to Bruce. Because we're just going to show a link. We're just going to. We have a link. Uh, we have a link for the uh, Downland okay. conversion. Is can that what you, it is? Yes, we do. Uh, Mr. Mark, can you um, stop sharing sound for a second? Thank you. Okay, and we will go to, let me know if you can, oh, Rob's here. yes, we can see this. Okay, good um, stuff. So, okay, so this is the game so is there a link that is being converted using uh, the Mario Maker 2 on the Nintendo Switch. So um, now... How much would you pay now, Nick Marota? Oh, twenty-seven dollars. <laughs> well, it looks a lot. Look, look at what he did here with the uh, the downland. You know, written in blocks. Yeah, it's cool. And he's got the acid uh, drops. I don't know if they actually drop anything, but um, he's got the uh, the vines. Um, <laughs> he's using, you know, instead of oh, he has doors with locks. Um, and using pipes because it is a Mario um, game, but this is very cool. Look at what he look at how complicated he's he's recreating. I remember this level. Do you, Nick? No, I you know I haven't played Downline that much yet. To be honest, that wasn't <laughs> was on my radar. But uh, look at this guy. He he just he looks very cool. more and more. So it's very cool. He he used a, a tool that's available, um, and he's just uh, using Downland as, as a guide for all of these maps. So if you have a um, Switch and you have Super Mario Maker 2, you can get this level. Do you yeah, see there's a link get, to it somewhere? Um, I don't know if it's available yet or if he's – it sounds like he's you just probably have to download it. You probably have to download it in the game itself. I don't know. I don't know how Super Mario Maker works. I don't have it. 
But I imagine if you submitted it to the community or whatever, you can download it from within the game itself. I would. Yeah, I do believe that the Switch has a um, community, um, um, you know, a marketplace where you can download. Yes. So we did, yeah. So that's all I I have. And, okay, and I, one, I one, you... one more piece of news. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we have Debus more with us. We talked earlier about the uh, the book, the beautiful. We're very impressed. Book okay, that you'll be selling. Yeah, let's talk to Bruce about the book. Oh my goodness! And then, no. and then, Mister Six Eight or Nine. After that, but uh, we did have a question about the book. Can can people who are not going to Coco Fest buy the book? Uh, yes, it is certainly possible to do that. Um, but like I was trying to communicate, it's 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 really expensive to make these things. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, you got a discount. Yeah, because like of Coco this- Fest. Yeah, yeah. So this, you know, I made this is my proof copy that I made, and and I I paid U.S. forty two bucks plus change to right. get to get a proof copy. So I mean that's you know, hey, it's 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 worth it. But at the same time, uh, if we can get ten or more copies, the price drops significantly. Um, and so I think I think I was quoting a thirty bucks. Right, yes. deliver a Cocoa Fest. So that's so essentially you get it delivered to you there. But I mean, if you wanted one of these, um, and you went part as a group buy, but you weren't coming to Cocoa Fest, I guess you'd have to pay for the extra shipping. I'd have to mail it directly to you. Yes. But, but otherwise, yes, you, you certainly can get it. And there's, uh, I didn't mention the video, but there's there is places in the back for signatures. So if you are at Cocoa Fest, you can collect autographs. You know, that'll be great. Right. So, this is my Cocoa. Like that's that is my Coco right there. This photograph, this this guy. Wow. My my original. There we go. My original forty year old Coco. It's the real thing. Most of the photos in here are like of my hardware. Most of them. So you charge so, extra to have Ken Reichard not sign it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a nightmare. Nightmare Highway does make an appearance in there. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, it's there. So, yeah. Well, thanks for putting all that work into it, and that that's going to be exciting for people to have something uh, memorable to take home. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it looks awesome. You are a man of many medias. Media, media is already <laughs> media is already plural, so I guess you're media, right? You're, it's almost like you're the king of all media. Well, I believe he likes to be a mm. duke. I believe he wanted a duke or earl. Which one? You know it? what? I think Maestro actually. Oh, Maestro! Nicer. It was Maestro. <laughs> okay. You got all the M's then that way. Well, you got to wear a tux then. Well, I, well that's okay. I or a Canadian tux. A Canadian tux will work. <laughs> okay. Is that like a, is blue, a Canadian a tux? A... Blue, blue jean jacket? Is that what it is? Yeah, blue jean jacket I, and plaid shirt? Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> Just put a little bow tie and away you go. <laughs> yeah. So can you review uh, how to place an order for one? Uh, email me, coco at gracenote.ca. And I guess what I'm hoping to do is to get um uh paypal payments of 30 bucks each assuming we get at least 10 um i mean if if we don't if i don't get 10 then i guess maybe i would refund and anybody who wants to you know pay for the higher i don't know basically just got to figure it out kind of on the fly but coco at gracenote.ca and we can definitely work work out all that stuff okay if there's enough orders it'll be 30 dollars um for each edition contact bruce at coco at gracenote.ca that's it thank you bruce for everything you do for the community thank you okay do we have any other uh, commercials um 
Mark, do you want to come back with Mr. 6809? Uh, okay, you want to run uh, the next commercial? Do you, have a, do you have any other new commercials left? Well, I mean, we've only run uh, uh, three, and we've got up to ten. Is this a surprising question that I'm asking you? <laughs> roll the next commercial block. <laughs> Why don't you just roll them all and we can call it a day? There you go. That's it. Bruce should direct this show. Uh, just okay. roll another commercial and we'll come back with Mr. 6809, Dave. Uh, okay. And now these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, I'm Kieran Unscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website, and download our latest games. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games, and they're on sale. Get this six game model for $29.95, or the four game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment cost, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash, and more. Easy to hook up, and great family fun that lasts all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. We will return after these messages. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. 
This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word process. When he isn't playing computer games, lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer three, only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strope. the bravest souls enter, only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing... Coco Talk? Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Coco Fest Edition. Still low resolution. Still digital to analog converted sound. More machine language. And basic. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now includes the power of Terry to clear the road ahead. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Limited physical editions available for purchase at Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. All of my games are included as an alleged bonus, including my failed fourth Rainbow Adventure Contest entry, previously unreleased. For a reason. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now you've really paid too much. Nick Marionette on electricity. Crikey! Electricity's a fad. The beast market is just open flame. Brought to you by Nitro Stein, Ease of Use Edition. Hashtag OS9 Forever. All right. Okay, we're back, we're we're back. back. and <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> I think I heard NECA. Uh, hey, everyone, we're back. Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, introduce the next segment, and I just wanted to mention, though, we saw a commercial for Nightmare, Nightmare Highway. Ken Reichert in the chat reminds you that Nightmare Highway Cocoa Fest edition will be $10 if signed by the author and $15 if not signed by the author. So um, there you have it. So thanks, Ken. Um, so it's cheaper to get him to sign it. Yeah. Will that version be sold outside of Cocoa Fest? Uh, I think I don't know the answer to that, but Ken, uh, let us know if we'll be able to download this or if we're required to Wait. pay 
Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's giving us ten and fifteen dollars. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think he's talking about the physical copies oh. at the uh yeah, you will actually have to pay money for, but it is less if he signs it. It devaluates it. <laughs> That's right. Compare it to forty dollars. It's much less than forty dollars. It's a it's a bargain. It's exactly. Well, something <clears throat> that is a, definitely a bargain. A man that knows a little bit of sound, about uh, uh, technology and hardware and software, and we're lucky to ha- finally have him here on the panel. Uh, he is the original uh, creator of the high score challenge that has taken the Coco community by storm and. Uh, his name he's all, he's known as Dave and Sharon, as well as Mr. Dave six eight oh nine, and uh, I guess we're look. I'm looking at your real name, David David Veery. Yeah, and that's he's me. here. He's here. He's From not there, Canada. He's not, he's not sitting at home, live in the flesh. Know. He's not on his couch. Well, he might be, but the point is, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, he's he's decided to to jump in with with both no feet. No couch shaming. That's right. Uh, Dave, well, how are you? And um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in the color computer and how you got, how, how, how do you got to this point and in being involved in our show? Okay. Well, first up, uh, I'm always good. That's, that's a given. Um, <laughs> I upgraded to a Coco 2. Oh man. Back in the eighties after being limited by the uh, TI 994A. Nice yeah. machine, but it was just too slow. So I got into the Coco 2 and then quickly got into the Coco 3. And uh, then we upgraded to OS 9, had a good time with that. And then uh, I didn't see a Coco for about 30 years. So I started back in uh, November, got myself a Coco 2, and I said, you know what? I can make this a good computer, actually a daily use computer uh, that I want to be able to do email and everything on. So. Okay. I'll let that one go. <laughs> you you can turn it into a good computer. Um, okay, I'll let that one go. It'll slide. <laughs> slide. Well, I wanted to bring it uh, Y2K red. I'm just my, teasing my joke. I'm kidding. Just don't, anyway, give Rob any amu- don't, don't, get, don't give Rob any ammunition, that's all. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I think you have some hardware projects that, that we're going to show, and I, I'm set up to, to kind of share some of this now. Some of these videos are a little bit long, so we'll share the link in the chat, but maybe we, you and I can walk through kind of what the highlights are. Yeah, you can skip the, um, the there's a three-part video there. You can skip that one, but there's some smaller ones. Okay, so I have the, the lineup that you gave me. Um, and Mark, if you could um, release the controls, I will go ahead and okay. share. Okay, I think this is what I want. Okay, Dave, can you see um, this screen? Yeah, that's the one to start with. I'll definitely. Okay. Be, uh... So, give, prep us a little bit, and then I'll skim through the video. But what are we going? What are we about to see? Okay, so I found the. Um, well, you missed the stuff that hit the cutting room floor. I wanted to put an updated keyboard in my Coco. So I took a hacksaw to 101 keys and um, 
might have worked, but then I found that you could get a 60% keyboard that looks like it would fit right in the hole for a Coco 2. Uh, the problem is they're USB. Uh, the Coco doesn't know anything about USB. So I ordered the keyboard and uh, I started working on a conversion to go from USB to the Coco. Mm -hmm. So if you want to play the video, we'll see a little bit what it's like. Okay. Um, do we need the audio or, or your phone? It's fine. Yeah, you may as well. Uh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm connected to the audio. Oh. So. I don't think you're going to hear that. Um, but why don't why don't we? Well, we have you. Why do we need your uh, recording? Okay. Just tell us what you're doing. Okay. Well, first up, uh, first up, I got on Coco Talk back in December and I asked around to see if I could get rid of the green screen. And uh, Stevie said, you could have any color you want, as long as it's orange or green. That's right. <laughs> so I got into the ROM and uh, rewrote the ROM so that my Coco would uh, start with a green, uh, an orange screen, rather. So you can see on the video, I have a lot of hotkeys on the keyboard. So that's an RGB mechanical keyboard. Uh, with one touch, I can pull up the real-time clock. I can pull up the date. I can uh, get instant hotkeys. Uh, there's no program currently running on the Coco in this video, CDSDC, but I'm just running um, right from the command prompt. So I can play MIDI files, which here I can play so MIDI files. What, I can what play. What was the uh, first at the beginning when you're when you're typing in these commands? Are you typing them into like a, okay? So how did that happen? Oh, you have a hotkey. And that, yeah. So where are you going now? So command is what a program? Well, I have a, a little key that I hit the alternate key, and it gives me a special command prompt that lets me do some powerful tasks that I wrote in Python, and that is what's giving my Coco a little bit of boost. Um, as you can see, I have a, a little wireless uh, keypad that I can use with a mouse on it. Mm -hmm. I have a USB mouse and port. So those are commands you built into your USB interface. Yeah, exactly. Now I tried this. I tried to convert the USB signals into something the Coco would use, and I realized that there's so much that I wanted to do. It, it's going to be. It's going to take up all my time. So I grabbed my thirty-five dollar Raspberry Pi. I stuck it in the Coco. And from there, I built an interface um, that converts all the USB signals or anything that the Raspberry Pi is doing can get fed into my original Coco 2. Like right now, the Coco 2 doesn't know it's getting its information from the Raspberry Pi. It's coming mm -hmm. in right through the keyboard interface. Okay. So you can see on the video, I can type in... Um, I can use pretty much any USB device that I want on it. In the video, I'm showing off the little effects of my keyboard. Yeah, the effects. Okay, yeah. so there is a Raspberry Pi in here somewhere. Yep. And that's that's the interface, okay. That's the interface. So I did put a USB port on the Coco that I can plug in devices into. Um, it's a 6309 and 6809 uh, Coco. 
and it's running pretty much stock uh, ROMs, except that I did get it set up that the Raspberry Pi and the Coco can talk to each other through data addresses and pass information back and forth. So if my Coco needs help doing something, let's say playing a uh, a JPEG video, a JPEG image or something, it could ask the Raspberry Pi for it. And the Raspberry Pi will, it, the Raspberry Pi is there to help the Coco. Yeah, but it's not its not a Raspberry Pi in a Coco case. It's a real Coco. It just, it's just uh, connected between the keyboard and the, you know, yeah. and, the, and the Coco. And so that's, that's very unique. I haven't seen that. Yeah, the Raspberry Pi. There's a lot of empty space in the Coco computer under the keyboard and all over oh, the yeah. place. So you could put pretty much anything in there. The Coco doesn't know that there's a Raspberry Pi in there. It's running. <laughs> it's running original, uh, you know, Microsoft software. Pretty much original, anyway. Um, so it's not just a co-processor. It's a co-computer. Yeah, it's a smart interface. It's really helping out the cocoa but boy if the cocoa oh. knew that the raspberry pi was in there that cocoa would be mad yeah if it knew it had a 700 megahertz uh hey friend in there put a raspberry pi in here <laughs> can you switch back to a green screen yeah yeah i can there's actually a, another small video that demonstrates um when i put in the dual cpus I made them switchable using the channel three, channel four switch. And um, I also put in a double size uh, EEPROM so I could switch ROMs in it too. So one of the ROMs defaults to the regular uh, screen. Do you want me to jump to the dual CPU? Sure. Okay, we'll do that one. So, oops, gotta go to the beginning. Okay. So you can see we're still on the orange screen, extended color basic. CPU 6309. Now, how'd you, how'd you do that? 2020. What sorcery is this? <laughs> yeah, I got a little help on uh, with my friends at Discord on uh, on how to hack the ROMs and stuff and rewrite some assembly code. So I did modify that ROM a little bit. But uh, you can see in the video here, that there's the two CPUs and two ROMs, and they're switched together. So I didn't need that channel three, channel four switch in the back, so I hijacked that switch, and I use it to select uh, which way I want the computer to boot, original 6809 or my version. Mm -hmm. So is this plugged into the CPU uh, socket? The... Um, a board? The, six, the, the, the Raspberry Pi board, I could show you a picture when I get to share. Uh, the Raspberry Pi board is sitting in there, and it's getting its information fed in through the original uh, keyboard matrix connector. So where the keyboard, I use the uh, GPIO pins of the Raspberry Pi, and uh, I input them into the, the keyboard matrix slot. So I wrote... Um, you know, a little bit of a program in Python and stuff to to change uh, all the keys. You know. So how do you have the both processors in there? Do you have them stacked? Yep, they're stacked, okay. and you can use one pin. If you don't connect one of the pins, you can make a selectable pin thirty nine. 
will be selectable. Is that like the no, you're going to see it. Um, it's like a chip select line. I forget what's mm -hmm. official name. So there it is under a regular normal boot. So you painted like the this. case black, right? Yeah. I wish we could see it in daylight, what it kind of looks like, the keyboard yeah. and all. Thank you. It's so dark. It's so another dark. little video. Yeah. It's another little video you can show of, uh, it's like a 15-second video of a serial interface to... Uh, yeah. Uh, so I have MIDI and I have the um, I2C. Well the, MIDI, which would... well, the MIDI would be nice if you had sound working. Oh, because it's sound. Okay. But... Yeah, well, this is a. I had to throw this up, but can you describe to us um, kind of what how the setup is? I think we heard we know what MIDI kind of sounds like, but. Okay. Well, here I have a uh, Korg Volca FM, a little. Oops. It's sort of like a Yamaha DX7 clone, in a little box. So I use the USB to MIDI converter. I plug it into the MIDI port on the Coco. And uh, I was playing MIDI, but anyway, was that the sound? Yeah, but does the Raspberry Pi have to, the Raspberry Pi is involved? Is it not? Yep. Oh yeah. Because okay, what's anything the going Pi? through the USB is. I'm using uh, the Raspberry Pi MIDI functions. There's a lot of stuff on Raspberry Pi that's easy to use: uh, images, uh, MIDI, uh, JPEGs, video. So all these higher functions, I don't even, you know, stress out the poor Coco for that. I just let the, the Raspberry Pi take the commands from the Coco and say, oh, you want to do this? No problem. Okay. And then the Raspberry Pi will talk to the Korg. Or yep. no? The Raspberry okay. Pi. Yep. But the Coco is also talking? No, because the Coco is talking to what's coming out of the Coco, the back of the Coco? MIDI, MIDI uh, signal? No, on the back of the Coco, I was going to hijack the cassette port and change it to a, a Coco, uh, uh, change it to a MIDI port because it's the same connector. But I'd rather use the USB cable that you see there because I can have MIDI in and out, you know, all on okay. the one uh, cable. So you could, you could do MIDI out, but yeah, by going through USB to the Raspberry Pi to the Coco, a keyboard interface, then you have in and out capability. Yeah, my Coco, it, it also has a shortcut inside that it can internally talk to the Raspberry Pi without the keyboard. They, they can, I'm, I'm working on that communication now, so they can talk back and forth. And um, so what I'm going to do is change the ROMs. I'm going to change the old uh, play command in Extended color basic. So I'm going to change that to be play. It's going to play actually MIDI notes, you know? Okay. Uh, I'm going to get rid of some of the functions I don't like. So, how is that going to uh, interface with how is the play command going to talk to the? Um, so, it's going to talk to the Raspberry Pi just through the keyboard like normal. Well, yeah, once you right. type in the, the play command, uh, I'm going to change the ROMs to, to work on the... I'm giving the Raspberry Pi an address up in the I.O., up in the FF there. It will have mm -hmm. uh, its own address that the Coco will be able to pass data back and forth. I want the 
data, uh, the cocoa to be able to read the uh, all the data that's on the pie and vice versa. It would be nice if they could, you know, if the pie had access to the cocoa's uh, disk drive and all that stuff. Okay, but the cocoa obviously won't know. Um, we'll just run the play command as usual if you don't change the ROM. So you're going to change that. That's how that works. Yeah, I'm going to change the ROMs. And fortunately, someone pointed out to me that um, the Coco 2 can run in an all RAM mode. So I don't have to keep reprogramming the EEPROM every time I want to do a test, which is what correct, I was originally yeah. doing. Yeah, so now I'll yep. be able to just um, test, the, test the ROM with just uh, running it in RAM mode. Or you could get a Coco three, get you know, get a real Coco. <laughs> well, if all goes well, in about two weeks, my Coco two will be able to emulate a Coco three quite easily. Cool. What? <laughs> How is that going to work? Well, I have coming out of the Coco in the back. I have an HDMI port as well. Okay, and, and that's uh, coming yeah. from the Raspberry. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, and the Raspberry we'll, can do Coco three. Okay, well, we'll we'll save that as a teaser. Um, so, <laughs> I, I got a go question. Ahead, so, um, how much do you have invested in this thing? Uh, <laughs> the keyboard was the gift from my wife, so that's that saves sixty <laughs> bucks right there. And uh, the Raspberry Pi is about uh, thirty-five dollars. Um. So there, there was a couple chips, some shift registers that I had laying around to, uh, to change the data over from um, the Raspberry Pi to, to something that Coco understands. Now, the Coco keyboard is really simple. It, it's like mechanically, it's like the easiest thing in the world. Then you have the PS2 keyboards, a little more complicated, but the signal is easy. And then you have USB. B keyboards, which is sort of like war and peace. It, it sends a lot of data. It's really a handful to try and deal with a, a USB signal for an 8-bit computer. That's why you keep it to the Pi, right? Yeah, I let the Pi deal with that. And then in the Pi, I turn it into 8-bit data, and then I serve it up to the Coco. 8 bits at a time. Here you go. So the Pi becomes the keyboard translator. Oh, yeah, I had to write a program. Well, first, I had to learn how to write programs in Python. I never used it. Um, and Linux, I have no idea. So I had to learn that. And uh, Rick Adams and uh, Dave Phillipson and some guys helped me out on Discord with that. So I want to thank them. Uh, Mark Overholzer, he helped me with some uh, Python code as well. I really didn't know what I was doing. But I caught on quickly, and I was able to, okay, eat. I press the H key. Well, what I want to do is uh, turn that into 8-bit data for the Coco keyboard. And I would spit that out on the GPIO pins. But now the Coco has access to everything. It has access to everything the Pi does. It has this real-time clocks. There's um, internet, whatever I want, uh, Bluetooth. It's really an all-in-one interface having the uh, the Raspberry Pi in there. So, so you, you have Linux running. Yep. So Linux runs a um, a GUI. Yeah, it's like a what do they call it? 
Raspbian OS or something. It's sort of a Linux. So it's 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 kind of like our Cocoa Three Pi. Kind of. Yeah. I'm I'm not, of, I'm not emulating the Cocoa. The the Cocoa is is running. I mm, mean. Yeah, it's there it, working. It's there working, but it can get data from the Pi, and mm. it needs the Pi to get the keyboard information. Now, can you put an SDC right in there and access that? Uh, I'm sorry, access it from where? Coco SDC, can you just plug it into the side like a normal Coco? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's and it's all there. accessible. Yep. The Coco runs absolutely like the way Dave was born, except it's got a 6309. Uh, it runs the original cartridges. Um, the only difference is it gets some help from the Raspberry Pi. So I can play MC MP3s. I've patched in the two audios together. So, so the are, audio out. Are yeah. you going to Are you going to the Cocoa Fest? <laughs> not uh, Not for a while. No. This would be something cool to see in real life. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, Plus, are, are I you like thinking it. I mean, about? I use it. That's my computer. You thinking about selling a package? You know. Like if somebody well, I would interested. definitely, I would definitely sell a kit if if someone you know wants to do this or wants some help. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I know. I mean, that's what Alan Huffman was doing with his Cocoa Wi-Fi. He actually posted all the parts and the and the um, the firmware and the um, Amazon links, so you could just build it yourself. I was. Can I share? Uh, yeah, you want me to show the last uh, video you had? Yeah, you can show the last video and let me share just a few little uh, sketches. And then we'll turn it over to you, yeah. So tell us what's going on here. <coughs> okay, Oops. this was my... Well, it's oh, it's very quick. Short video. It's only 12 seconds. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just repeating on a, on a loop here, but what are you typing in and what, what is this uh, interface device? Okay, this was my first attempt. This is a serial port to Arduino interface. So I hacked the serial port, the Bitbanger port on the back, and put it to an Arduino. And now I have I2C signals out. So that's a little I2C LCD screen. And this is accessible with just using a print using mm -hmm. command. Okay. So I made a All little right. video series on people if they want to learn how to do this kind of stuff. Because um, once, once you have the serial data into Arduino, well, then you can do whatever you want, right? You have I2C. If you want a real-time clock, if you want um, any modern device. <laughs> okay. So you want me to um, stop sharing so you can take, take over? Sure. Sure. Okay. There you go. I'm gonna look here. So, what's your background? What? How, how did you learn how to do this stuff? I mean, are, are you into? 
Yeah, I was always into electronics. My dad used to bring me back uh, equipment he would find full of, you know, different components. And I would be playing with that since I was a kid. I did go to college for a little while in electronics, but ended up switching to a different kind of work. And I recently got back into it as a hobby. So on this uh, little sketch, you see how the Raspberry Pi is sitting in the cocoa. I'm using GPIO pins over, they plug right in where the keyboard matrix ribbon cable would plug in. I have a little bit of serial data up at the top going back and forth between the Pi and the Cocoa. And here we can plug in a USB mouse, keyboard, wireless, whatever you want. I'll look for another one. Hey, over in the chat, Robert Murphy's asking the question, uh, how are you providing power to the Pi? Um, I decided to let the Pi use its own um, power pack, not to load down the poor cocoa. <laughs> I was pretty worried I was going to set fire to this poor machine, all the soldering I did in it. <laughs> Here's some pages out of my old uh, Cocoa 3 manual showing how the original keyboard is made. It's just literally polling one set of rows and then you, you press on and it, it uh, lines up for the column. So I made that circuit on the right using some shift registers and the chip called the 4066, which is sort of like an OR gate. It's not that complicated. What else we got? I'm posting the links to the other videos. And if you like the video, give it a thumbs up and subscribe. I think that's what all the YouTubers say. So does that sit under yeah. the keyboard? Yeah, did you get the image? I yeah. put it up. Yeah, we can see it. This one is... It's right near the power supply. So that's where my Raspberry Pi sits. And then I still have a lot of GPIO pins. I can do a lot of stuff with that. And the keyboard, uh, the USB keyboard cables are running under the motherboard of the Coco. What Raspberry Pi is this? It's, it looks a like a three. Three, yeah. Not, the reason not. why I knew it was a... Uh, Three is because if it was a three B, the three uh, B plus or four, it would have had the uh, wife. Well, actually, no. It's a. Uh, it could be a B. Yeah. No, it's a. It's a. Looks like it's a three B plus because I see the Wi-Fi built into it. Okay. Yeah, it does have Wi-Fi. And there was a um, question in the in the chat, Dave. Is is anything stopping this from being put into a, a dragon? No, I don't don't see why not. Um, I think the, cool. the the codes are the same for the uh, the keyboard scanning. If your keyboard, I mean, you could always modify the design, right? I basically looked at the keyboard and said, okay, I need to produce, I need to reproduce this to. I was going to hack the the actual software and send in the USB keyboard into um, 
up into the RAM and the data and stuff like that. And Dave Phillipson threatened that his programs on OS 9 would run too fast <laughs> for my stuff. No. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll put it in the way Coco was meant to get its information. I said, I'll put it right in the keyboard slot. And then, I mean, so the, the, the Raspberry Pi, when I hit the letter A, it sends out a signal and it's simulating someone pressing the A button on the, on the keyboard. So that's how I get all my hotkeys. I can hit like F1 and it, it prints, okay, load from drive zero or whatever. Oh, Al Hartman points out that the Dragon keyboard does have a slightly different matrix, so you would have to make those changes to the... Yeah, that would be easy to, to the, do. I don't yeah, see, yeah, yeah, but that would be easy. Yep. So could you uh, run a software program and go on the uh, on a BBS doing Telnet? Could I do what? Go on a BBS using Telnet and uh, like Netmate off of the SDC. Like, are you are you just connected to the internet? Where if you ran any any, he like says it has. He says it has, uh, you know, Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. yeah. So, oh. do you have it so that it's accessible to the uh, Coco? Yeah, I can give the Coco any information that I want. As my program evolves, I'll be able to to let it have more and more um, access to the Raspberry Pi. I started off, you know, just giving it the time, the date, uh, the ability to play MP3s, then MIDI files. Um, I can do JPEGs. Um, but... My next project will be to mix the video in from the Raspberry Pi and the Coco all together. So it's one, one image. Because right now I fire up the Raspberry Pi and I, I just forget about it. I just start using the Coco. But, you know, sometimes I use two monitors and I'll write the program in Python and uh, then test it out, you know, let the Coco talk to it. So can you actually boot the Coco and w without the Pi on? You can't do that, can you? Well, it'll boot, but it, it won't get any key information whatsoever. Right. Okay. It'll be sitting there. It needs the Raspberry Pi on to get the data from the keys. I got you. Okay. Yep. Cool. Cool. So this uh, this project will keep going. And, and you said you mentioned email. So... Um, that that poses an interesting dilemma for you with the Coco too, because how are you going to read email on a thirty-two column screen? Um, so is that something you're you're really you said you wanted to have everything all in one device, but how are you going to deal with uh, thirty-two columns? Well, I went and picked up on Amazon a um, HDMI a composite to HDMI upscaler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And of course, the Raspberry Pi has an HDMI output that I'm really not using for the Coco features. So I want to put the two of them together and let the sort of mix the Raspberry Pi video and the Coco video all in one. Oh, okay, okay. And that will that will allow me to to do my Coco two will then be able to emulate a Coco three. Okay, well, my head's about to explode on that one. You're gonna have to come back <laughs> and talk to me how how that because it, 
the other the other thought would be, and I'm very interested to see how you're going to emulate the Coco Three. But if you if you did get an actual Coco Three, you would have the 80 columns, and you could just feed in, um, you know, whatever you wanted from the Raspberry Pi, including you know having an email program. Oh yeah, I can. I I should be able to get it to do anything, but really, I wasn't trying to be extravagant. I was trying to be um, economical, like. There's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. I wanted my Coco to do. And if I would have had to start buying a board to convert the keyboard, if I would have had to start to buy a board to do this, to do that, like that's mm -hmm. a lot of modules, a lot of stuff. So in one shot with one $35 Raspberry Pi, I can do it all. Yep. And I had the Raspberry Pi sitting there, and I really, you know, I did a lot of work with Arduinos, and I hadn't really touched the Raspberry Pi yet. I wanted to learn it, and this was a great project uh, for really, um, I had to learn a lot. I had to relearn assembly. I knew nothing. I was bugging the hell out of Curtis Boyle on mm -hmm. Discord. I had to get a lot of advice, and um, but I, I got it. Well, you did a great job. Yeah. Oh, thank really you. Really unique. It's very useful. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to just have a put a Raspberry Pi in a case, which which is which is very cool. Um, but you know, this is you know a step beyond that, which is. So I hope I hope you continue developing it and and hopefully make it available. I mean, this might be the one way we'll we'll get a real time clock because I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my that was the first thing i put in yes of course it's always the first thing you put in for any other computer okay? it's the first thing you put in except for our computer i you know i had bought real-time clock modules to use with the arduino and wire in and like i said things became complicated like it, it would have taken up most of my winter uh, where i have the most available time <clears throat> to build all these things you know Cool. Well, um, thanks for. Oh, go ahead, Ron. Well, um, so why did you choose the cocoa to do this? Is this what you were you brought up with a cocoa, or I mean, uh, had you thought about using a different machine in the future? Or? Well, actually, I wanted to build my own computer using a um, a sixty three oh nine and a TI video card. Well. The, the video chip from the, the TI computer because that can that chip was really not utilized to its fullest back in the day. It can do a lot. And I thought I'd make my own computer and I thought it'd be easier if I had a Coco so I could do that kind of, uh, you know, environment. I could learn to program the uh, 68 uh, 6309. And um, then I just got sidetracked. I started fixing up my Coco, making it better, making it better upgrading a lot of stuff so yeah it, it looks like it got out of hand it, it really didn't <laughs> it's going to get out of hand when i decide to make the coco 3 emulator use the cartridge port then at this point are you going to use a, 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 a like mame emulator in uh in uh, linux yeah yeah, I was talking to uh, Rick uh, Adams about that, and uh, th they have it all set up already. Yeah, Ron um, Klein might be able to help you, That's too. That's right. 
Yeah, I spoke yeah. to Ron Klein about that already. Yeah. I would need it. Right now they have it as um, a full boot you put in. It takes up the whole SD card. I still need to run my programs and would like to keep it as an option, you know. Do you want to keep well, it under half a terabyte? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't, why don't we do this? Because uh, we can continue uh, to talk about this project, which is fascinating. Um, so why don't, Mark, why don't you run the credits and go right into Coco Caboose, and we'll see uh, if we have any other questions for, for Dave. Okay. All right, sounds good. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A-Bit World! Yeah. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-Bit World! Keeping the tiny flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A-B-Y Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Welcome back, everybody. What's uh? Hello, we, I'm still hello. Here. I want to thank uh, Chris Christopher Hawks of Hawksoft, our special guest today on the show. 
What else are we thankful for? We're thankful for D. Bruce Moore and his 40th anniversary surprise. Don't forget to order your copy at uh, coco at gracenote.ca. And what else are we uh, thankful for, Nick? Uh, We're thankful for everybody who joined us in YouTube and Facebook. Absolutely. Let's uh, talk about a few of those people we got bit mr ben drakes we had oh we had so many people canadian retro things was in the yes chat he was very grateful that we brought up his story today how about that a famous youtuber canadian retro. we had mikey we had ken Riker, dave 6809 james jones love 25 Elker zombies on youtube amigos of retro course. gaming was here of course with tim artists. franklin oh. paul piscarelli Amigos Retros Gaming, you mentioned. Al Hartman chimed in a few times with some good uh, information. Um, Shaderu <laughs> Pro, I don't know who that is. But uh, boy, the list of Robert Murphy has been very active in the chat. Uh, very yeah. excited about the, um, Dave's project. You see and, Ken's uh, question? Ken's. Chat. Robert, Robert has really good taste. Yeah, does. <laughs> And uh, Ken says, does D. Bruce book audio come in an audio version? Well, boy, that, <laughs> you'd have to, you know what, Ken? You'd have to email coco at gracenote.ca to find out. This book brought to you a described video. Did I mention coco at gracenote.ca? I think I did. On the left page, there's a picture of a coco. It is silver. It has chiclet keyboard. Yes. How would you do an audio book of that is what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> read by the author. Uh, <laughs> so Retro Innovation says, I only read those books for the article. Is there a text-only version of Bruce Moore's book? <sighs> well, I think we've got some requests. And you know what, Jim? The way you find out is by emailing. Help me, panel. Coco. Coco at, at Grace Thank you. Thank you. Is there a version of the book with a centerfold? Maybe that's the converse question. Well, yeah, it depends on what centerfold is uh, showing. Oh, but I know oh I gotta have Blue. that Coco centerfold. Blueprint. One centerfold Schematics. I always like to see is David Ladd. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> centerfold, a Coco three with a hard drive. Oh, jeez. No, oh. I, I, I've got to see the. The nice okay. fold out with the the uh, the PIAs and the gimme and <laughs> we're the, now approaching the and, Oh, hey, Mark! The chips oh, are all completely laid out on that fiberglass panel. Laid out. Mark, oh yeah! I have an idea that's going to be really there, excited. Uh, What's that? How about how about a cocoa that communicates with a Raspberry Pi via the keyboard uh, mylar? How about that? <laughs> There's your centerfold. There's an idea. I wonder. Nah, I wonder, nah, how, nah, I wonder nah, if nah, someone's nah, done that yet. Centerfold. Yes, the man who did that is here, Dave. Anything else you, that you wanted to talk about uh, that we didn't get to on this project, or any final thoughts you have for the show? A couple, a couple of pictures, if I could share. <clears throat> Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah. Incoming sharing. Hey, I'm a cat. What's right. in? Do you have any concern that when machines rise against us, that your cocoa will be among the first to do so? Because I'm pretty scared. I hope so. 
because I, I I live kind of close to it. I don't want to see your freaking cocoa coming down the street. Uh, are you asking you if, uh, if his cocoa has become oh. self-aware? <laughs> I won't see it coming. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't okay. know. Like, it's... Do you have this image? I don't know if it's up. Yep, we can see it. Oh, there it is. So it's a little brighter picture. Okay. And so we are looking at a that keyboard a web browser. Cool. Yep. Um, and so how is this possible on the color computer? <laughs> well, like I said, the Raspberry Pi is, is helping the cocoa, but you know, it's not turned off. It can still do whatever it wants to do. Here's another one showing uh, the, the program I, well, the beginning of the program I wrote in Python, accessing the GPIOs. So I really had to, you know, let the uh, Raspberry Pi speak 8-bit. Well, my, my computer, you know, it's 16-bit inside, really. Well, 32, right, with the 6309? I'll see if I have anything else interesting. May not. Okay. How about that one? Okay. Python. We're looking at. This is what's happening behind the scenes that my Coco doesn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> but if it knew, it would be very angry. It, it would freak out. It would freak out. It would turn green. Okay, and, and, and what is this visualization? Why, why, why do I see this? Oh, this was a teaser I posted on Discord while I was working on my uh, project. Because people overheard that I was programming Python on my Coco 2. And they're like, uh, how is that possible? <laughs> Very cool. Well, now, the, the videos I put up on YouTube, uh, they're not the best instructional videos. I don't know if you're going to learn anything from them, but you, you might get inspired. It does. I do explain how I did the things, and uh, they're, they're quick videos. But, you know... It could help some people. More. They can, uh, people can contact you on Discord and find mm -hmm. out more how to do it. And for anyone who wants to do the, um, you know, uh, hacking the serial port with an Arduino, I'll probably put together a little kit and, you know, they can play with that. It would give them a starting point, you know. Because with the Arduino, the, you could have Bluetooth, you could have Wi-Fi, you could have, um, you know, different uh, features. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, and you have. The, you, go ahead, David. No, I was going to say with the uh, cocoa, as far as the bit banger goes, um, the um, that's nice because DriveWire already has a whole bunch of of uh, 
different protocols that you could take advantage of, especially under nitrous nine that you could use with the pie. Um, and then, um, you know, especially those that have dragons, um, especially like the dragon 64 or the Tano dragon that has the 6551 serial that's built into it. So you could uh, do the higher speeds with flow control on those machines. So you could really. Now, when you talk higher speed, how high? Um, how high well, is a high speed? Because, yeah. Well, if if you don't use the level shifter, if you you know separate the I/O lines from the level shifter and just used all TTL, well, um, I don't. I know Jim Brain with the sixty-five fifty-one. He's got um, two hundred and thirty k. Um, on his uh, prototype serial card right now that you can do. Um, but, you know, and if, if you could, you know, have the flow control enabled, you know, you know, when the data comes in, you deal with it, you know, um, where the bit banger, you know, obviously if you miss bytes, well, you kind of missed them. <laughs> Yeah, well, one thing I did today, um, having my Coco talk to the Raspberry Pi. Now, the Raspberry Pi has an easy way to take interrupts on any of the GPIO pins. Well, any of them, most of them. So I decided to, to put in a little routine where the Raspberry Pi would wake up and say, hey, I'm getting a special command from the Coco. So I needed a, um, another wire coming out of the Coco. So I disconnected that little relay. I don't need that cassette relay. So I took that wire and I sent it over to the Raspberry Pi as an interrupt. So whenever I send the the poke, which would be a, essentially a motor on or a motor off, but when I send that command, the Raspberry Pi says, oh, we got some data coming in. What, what do you want me to do? So I hijacked that wire today. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we don't need that little relay there anyway. <laughs> well, it, it it depends. There's some of us that still like using the uh, the cassette port. So, so for my case, yeah. But well, know. you know, you could use a. I have a lot of GPIO pins extra on the uh, on the Raspberry Pi. I could easily reroute one of them. It's just because there's not too much coming out of the cocoa unless I make a dedicated interface on the address bus and data lines. Well, see, like some of the things that, uh, because, you know, Tandy, when they made the cocoa, they didn't um, fully decode some of the addresses for the 6847 and some of the other stuff. So there's ghosting. Um, so, but really, if you had a way to, uh, force decoding of some of the stuff, um, there's a lot of addresses you probably could use. Um, oh yeah. Up from about F800 up, I think there's a whole pile of empty space. Um, and like what, 
you know, the DAP boards that uh, Mark Marlette um, and uh, Boys on Tech have. Um, and then, of course, a lot of, you know, the old, um, what is it, the Disto memory board, its DAP board. Um, and then, of course, I think uh, um, the, uh, God, what is the other memory board? I can't think of it at the moment. Um, the MUA? No can. The no can boards, you know, okay. for their, um, their interface chip that would access different stuff. Um, what I was thinking would be kind of cool is to, um, since now a lot of people are having their CPU socketed, well, for those extra addresses that you would need, just put like a little CPLD or, um, you know, a small FPGA in between the CPU and the Coco's motherboard to decode the extra spaces that you need and put like extra serial ports or extra interface devices that, right. You know, you could yeah, take I, advantage I, of there's, there's all kinds of things that you can do with some of these, these chips. For so. testing purposes, I, I hijacked the, uh, the poor EEPROM. I soldered some wires on the address pins of the EEPROM. And uh, I've been testing, addressing with that, you know. So uh, Robert, Robert Murphy saying in the chat, um, and I think you guys were talking about it a little bit, um, which IO port was used in the, in the FF range? Oh, uh, I'm still playing with my, I don't have a permanent address right now. They're talking only by the uh, serial port, by the Bitbanger. I wrote a little program to pass information back and forth through that. I didn't dedicate an IO space, but it will be around F, it could be F8 something. There's a lot of empty space up there that, that could be used. I was considering putting a Raspberry Pi in the cartridge slot could be effective there too for different kind of projects but i don't know i really want to keep my coco having its its single uh, cartridge slot open you know okay you're saying uh, so it's sort of like a drive wire or drive wiring i suppose lots of commands over a serial um interface so sort of like the way drive wire works which okay yeah, I haven't used that yet. I just got back into the the Coco computer uh, just a couple months ago, you know. And yeah. really, it's funny. Every time I would come up with an idea, I said, "Hey, I'm going to do this." Mark Overholzer would tell me, "Hey, someone already did it." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> I'm there. Okay, look, I'm going to put a Texas Instruments video card in. He said, "Oh, that was done. It was called the Word Pack." Oh, really? You know, I spent two days soldering that. <laughs> Well, you know, just just because it was done before doesn't mean you can you can't do it again and do it better. That's what we heard today on the show with the MIDI pack. That um, Jim Brain basically took the MIDI um, spec that had already been made, and somehow he made it better. So you know, yeah, Jim's pretty good at doing stuff. <laughs> He's got his hands in all kinds of pots. 
I'm I'm seriously like a hacker. It, it's it's like I want things done like like now, you know. And uh, oh heck, yes, I know it can get all. it can get serious there. Well, yeah, especially when you throw 3D printing in there, then it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I want something, and it's like, well, let's see here. Oh, wait a minute, let's 3D print something and. Then can I shove this item, put it in the 3D print, and then shove it in this corner here, or <laughs> over here? Or well, it's about under of, there. Speaking of shoving things in the corner, it might be time to shove this show in the corner. Uh, we're going. We're coming up to four hours, and um, I did want to really thank um, both Davids here, David Beery and David Ladd. I hope uh, you were great guests, David. I hope you'll uh, come back on the panel. And we didn't scare you away. No, no, I'll be glad to uh, come back. And uh, hopefully next time I'll have some video and I should have my cocoa using a USB printer. So that'll be fun. Great. Well, and I also feel like Ooh. I could do a show with you, just you and David Ladd for four hours. So that might be a future <laughs> um, episode. I think you two have a lot in common. Um, but um, I think we've reached, uh, you know, quite quite a long uh, show. Um, we learned a lot today. We learned about MIDI and and special books by by Bruce Moore and Chris Hawks and what he's up to. And Chris Hawks is thinking about putting drywire in a cartridge, which is would be an amazing project. Um, and uh, we covered uh, some news out there and the game on contest. What's the game? What's the game for next week, everybody? Mr. Dig. Thank you. Mr. Mr. Dig. Dig. Oh, start yeah. playing now. Don't wait till the last minute because you want these bragging rights. You want the top score on Mr. Dig. Um, we'll see I want to thank uh, everybody else um, on the panel. I'm not going to remember everybody that was here, but Nick Morota, Nick Morentes, Mark B., our producer. Um, who else uh, was, was on, uh, Mark? Uh, John Laurie. John Strong. John Strong. Thanks, John. Um, for, and John added some uh, stuff on the on the interview. Thanks to Rondell Bow. And uh, Ken Ken can make it in the in the, the chat. I think he will be making it to um, Coco Fest. Don't forget Coco Fest, 45 days away. And with that, we will leave you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Thanks for having me on. Bye.